With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This would cost the average household $2,200 a year or 4% of their after-tax income. This according to a new study from nonprofit National Foundation for American Policy, conducted by David Turek, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is largely because imports under Trump's policy would become more expensive, raising the price of competing American-made goods also by about 11%. I don't doubt that's true. But while government tells us that we have about 4.8-4.9% unemployment in this country, John Williams at ShadowStats.com says the real unemployment figure is something like 23%. How are we going to deal with that unemployment figure with 23% unemployment while we still have global free trade and no tariffs to protect us from Chinese labor and Indian labor, Mexican labor, whatever, third world labor that is working for a fraction of the price of American laborers? I don't see how we're going to get around, get a, I don't see how we're going to reduce our real unemployment numbers unless we raise tariffs and we stop having to compete directly with third world labor because the only thing that can come of it is that the price of American labor has to fall and fall and fall until we are close to matching that of third world labor. And then there will be some kind of global harmony, I'll give you that, but there will also be a global standard of living comparable to who knows what you see where. Uh, Honduras, India, South Africa, will all be the same, right? But what is my incentive in making the whole world the same? Why am I obligated to save the world? I'm quite content to save the people of the United States of America insofar as anyone can do that. That's all my only focus, and it's the only focus our government should have, because we elected them. We didn't say, hey, we're going to send you to Congress, the Senate, or the White House to do what's right for the people of other continents and countries. You're supposed to look out for number one. They haven't been doing it. Something's got to be done. And maybe we're going to see that happen, and new tariffs could be a big step in that direction. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back on Monday. Have a good weekend, ladies and gentlemen. And in the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night. I- <laughs>
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Peace. 
Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, May 23rd, 2016. And let's see, it's about, well, it's almost eight minutes afternoon Pacific time, if that's when it is where you're at. We're live, 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. And that's one way to participate in the show. They do have to be live, and they do have to be accepting calls. However, you can go to the chat room, which is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and uh, there doesn't have to be a live show on. But if there is, you can go in there and uh, participate as you can now. I go in there. I'm in there right now, and... uh, just refreshing it to get my name listed because sometimes uh, my name goes away and then nobody knows I'm in there. 
Anyhow, so uh, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com is how you get in there. And uh, pick a name, pick a password. That's how easy it really is. Unless, of course, you've already got one, then it's even easier. That is, if you can remember your name and your password. I suggest, if you are picking a password, make it something easy. It's just a chat room. It's not a bank account. So, you know, it really doesn't have to be all that super secure, does it? Really? Anyway, you can uh, try using Yahoo Instant Messenger to direct uh, contact me directly. My screen name is AVRN Talk. Oh. All right, let's get to things and stuff, shall we? Hmm. All right, let's see here. You know, this I, I don't get uh, in Austria. Now, not that this, you know, well, it, it probably will affect oh, the U.S. in a small way, but they're saying now that they had an election there and that the uh, the far-right candidate, Basically, far right means you're a nationalist. Far right now means that you want, you are not a globalist. That's what they call far right now. That's what they mean by that, because that's really the only difference between the far right and everybody else, is the far right are not globalists. Listen, this is really serious business that you need to understand and start passing out to other people so they can understand it also. This is very important. We've all got lots of issues, okay? People can fight about abortion. They can fight about homosexuals. They can fight about all these things, and yeah, they all matter. But you know what? At the core of it, they don't matter. Until we resolve one thing. Are we going to be globalist or are we going to be American? That's it. That's the foundation of this whole election. And it's happening all over the world. There is a pushback against globalism because it's making people's lives miserable. It doesn't work. It's unnatural. It's just a, it's a system that sounds good. Well, let me tell you a story about the tooth fairy and how when you, all your teeth fall out, you just stick them underneath your pillow, and there's money there. Wow, that's cool. That's really great, except, oh, well, that's all right as long as your teeth grow back. But globalism, your teeth don't grow back, okay? Now you sit there and, oh, look, I got a fistful of worthless money that uh, isn't actually worth anything, and I have no teeth left. Yay. Oh, now I can starve? Yeah, that's what globalism does. That's the fairy tale globalism actually is. And people are starting to recognize this all over the world. It's not just here, Austria. Now you figure Austria, you know, they pretty much uh, are in the center of socialist Europe. And how did Europe become socialist? The United States created it that way. Okay, we did not go to Europe. Think about this, folks. The United States was in absolute control of Western Europe after World War II. 
And what kind of governments did we create? Socialist governments. That's the kind we created. We didn't create, we didn't give them a copy of our Constitution here and say, well, here you go. No, we came up with something completely different for them. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because Roosevelt was a socialist. Harry Truman was a socialist. They were working for a globalist agenda. And they still are. They haven't stopped. Now, there's a pushback. Here we have Trump, and to a lesser degree, Sanders. And in Austria, they had a far-right candidate. They say he's been narrowly defeated. Who knows? The new president... Now, this is going to sound a little confusing to you. You know, wait a minute, what? Yes. The new Austrian president, the president of Austria, has said whoever loves Austria is... Well, he uses the bad word, but equivalent to poop. That's a quote. The president of Austria says this about his own country. Does that seem familiar to our president that we have right now, who just really despises everything that there is about America and has worked very, very hard to destroy America? So the same thing's gone on in Austria now, apparently. It's really close, though. They may have a recount. Who knows uh, how it'll end up. But that's, that's where it stands right now. But you've got to really wonder about a guy who says that about his own country. Then again, I mean, we had it here. Michelle Obama never has been proud of America about anything, ever. Wow. And why is that? Because Michelle Obama, Michael, is a racist, that's why. She's a racist. But then again, this goes both ways. Something in Baltimore that happened, you know, Freddie Gray was killed from a spinal injury while in police custody, and the cop, the arresting officer, went through a kind of a trial. There's no jury. It was a bench trial for the, you know, just the judge decides. And uh, not guilty on all counts. Well, you know, I read the whole story, and I'm not going to read it to you folks, but even the attorneys are like, well, you know, this is a good thing, and the judge was really fair, and this was really okay, and it was really all right, and this is our justice system, and everybody should be okay with this. Well, you can imagine everybody's not okay with this. And the thing is, they're, they're, they're saying, look, you've got the prosecutor who works for the state, you've got the cop that works for the state, you've got the judge that works for the state, and they're going to have a little trial between the three of them? And we're going we're gonna to supposed to think that's fair? We've got a dead guy here from spinal injuries, and nobody's held responsible. They go on in this article, the most disturbing thing about this article, to me, because I'm not a family member or a friend of Freddie Gray, 
I'm sure there's a lot more disturbing things about this for them. But the comments that these lawyers make and these professors of law comment and say, well, you know, it's very difficult to convict a police officer of criminal activity. Really? Why is that? Well, because you've got to have a proof beyond reasonable doubt. Well, folks, you know what they're trying to push on us? Because that applies to everybody, okay? Everybody. When it comes to a criminal, a, a criminal charge, if there's even a reasonable doubt you didn't do it, then you're to be let free. You understand that is the American jurisprudence, right? If there is a reasonable doubt that you committed the crime, you're to be let go. I might think, yeah, well, you know, you could have done it, but I don't know. I'm not sure that you did. You're to be let go. That's everyone. What these most learned are telling us is that somehow along the line, because you're a cop, because you're a law enforcer, somewhere along the line, uh, we have an inherent um, doubt that you did anything wrong. Why, he's an officer. I, I, I have a reasonable doubt that he did anything criminal because he's an officer. I'm sorry, folks, that's not a good enough reason. That's like saying, well... Because he's a member of the Crips, or he's a member of the Blood, uh, I have a reasonable doubt that they committed a crime. So off they go. Everybody else doesn't get that, but they do. Well, because look, look at that red bandana. Anybody wearing a red bandana, you got to think, well, they probably didn't do anything wrong. Well, that's what they would have us believe because some cop throws on a black Nazi uniform and marches around with a gun you know, all day long, uh, we're supposed to think, oh, well, he would never do anything wrong. And that's the, that's the thing, folks. Cops are becoming immune from their actions. This is part of what's in, you know, really you need to go back and read the Declaration of Independence. Because it really goes into more than, hey, we're free and the king you know, we don't like him, and it lists, it lists abuses that the king had uh, done to the colonies. And one of those abuses amounts to what the police are doing now, running rampant through the country, killing who they want, when they want, because, oh, I was in fear for my life, and the courts say, oh, you were in fear for your life, so that's okay, you can kill anybody you want long as you were in fear for your life, even though the guy was unarmed and running away from you, uh, if you say you were in fear for your life, well, who am I to say you weren't? And uh, that's a good enough reason to shoot somebody. Well, that's fine if that applies to everybody. I'm willing to work with, within those rules if that applies to me also. Because if I get afraid and I decide to shoot somebody because of it, I don't want to hear about, oh, well, Gee, uh, you weren't allowed to... Oh, no, I am. I was in fear for my life. 
if it applies to me and everybody else, okay, fine, we can go we can go that way. But it doesn't. This is one of the serious abuses that the king was doing to the colonies. This was a big enough abuse for them to go to war. Look, I'm not a big fan of the black community. And it's got nothing to do with the actual community. It has to do with their leaders, because their leaders have, you know, they're just like our leaders. They have led the whole thing astray, and if you follow them, you're you're going to just, you're going to walk right into a pit of quicksand and never get out of it, because that's where they're leading everybody, and that's what these leaders are doing. And in the black communities, the Latino communities, it's even easier for them to do because the people are more uneducated, more uninformed, more wrapped up in whatever it is they're doing from day to day than to pay attention to anything else going on in life. And this is not everybody in the black community, but it's a majority, just like it's a majority in the white community. I'm sorry. I've met people that think they think they're they they know what's going on because they're plugged into CNN and Fox News 24 hours a day. They got that crap running in their house day in and day out, 24 hours a day. That's all you ever hear, CNN or Fox News. They switch back and forth and back and forth. And that's all they ever watch and they think, "Well, I know what's going on because I watch Fox News, I watch CNN." Wow. You are brainwashed. You are manipulated. You are being fed lies, and you're believing them. Are they all lies? No, it's not all lies. Just enough to get you in big trouble. Hmm? Oh, sure, you can go to CNN and Fox News and find out oh, well, what's going on with the election. Most of the time you can, unless they decide to... You know, just tell you a lie and say, well, so-and-so lost, no uh, point in going out and, uh, you know, voting for him anymore or her anymore because they already lost, when that's not true and it's a lie. You know, kind of like Ted Cruz did in, you know, Iowa <laughs> to Ben Carson. Uh, here's a funny uh, question. I find this funny. Why does everyone hate Hillary? What? Somebody has to ask that? Man. Uh, yeah, and this is this is this is coming from the Sacramento Bee, of course, a Californian paper. Uh, I mean, really. That okay, you know why? Here it all is. The reason everybody hates Hillary is not because she's a liar and a thief and a murderer and a criminal and a socialist and a communist and a globalist and she doesn't care about anybody but herself. And, you know, it's none of those things. It's a misogynist thing. We just hate women. That's all. Everybody out here just hates women. Even the women that don't like Hillary, you hate women, too. You're self-haters, I guess. That's that's what it is, see. No, that's the position of this paper. In this year of political rage, one aspect that baffles me somewhat is the absolute electrified, apoplectic, blurred vision hatred of Hillary Clinton. Nor do I get the similar outrage expressed about President Barack Obama, who, in a comment 
uh, comment section world makes Donald Trump look like a lovable Disney character. I can only ascribe this rage against the Clinton machine to misogyny. That's it. That's the only reason it can be because, well, there you go. It must be that. Because it couldn't be anything else. Because Hillary is such a wonderful person, and we should all just love her so much. And if we don't, it's just because we hate women. That's it. She goes on, yeah, I said it. Looking back on political figures, I can truly say that there are only a handful of people I could really get vein-popping angry about. Sarah Palin. Oh, not because she's a woman, because she's a moron. Oh, I see. Here we go. And Hillary Clinton's not a moron. I see. Really? Donald Trump, Ted Cruz. That's about it. And I'm a political cartoonist. I respected Dick Cheney as a frighteningly good gone, uh, good pro gone bad, whatever that means. I thought Richard Nixon was a genius who played hardball, which got way out of hand. Dan, Qu- Dan Quayle, practically Machiavellian by today's standards, and not at all a bad person. I don't think he, I don't even think he was, you know, dumb. But do I hate Hillary Clinton? No. Oh, of course not. She certainly, you see, this is, again, the feminists have taken control of the narrative and said, well, if you don't like Hillary, you're a misogynist. You're just a misogynist. You just hate women. You just hate women because you hate Hillary and she's a woman. And, uh, and that's all it could be because she's so wonderful and she's so good and she's so qualified to be president and everything else. And, 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 and yeah, and anyway, so it could only be she's a woman. Uh-huh. Sure it is. She certainly has provided puzzling moments, but in the words of Obama, she's likable enough. Really? Well, you know... Jeffrey Dahmer's neighbor said he was a real nice neighbor, too. They kind of liked him. He seemed like a nice enough guy, likable enough. I mean, he just happened to, you know, keep people in his freezer and eat them. But, I mean, other than that, he was a pretty likable guy, kind of like Hillary. Pretty likable gal, wouldn't you say? Uh-huh. But is she a lying murderess with uh, cankles? You would think so, based on the emails I get. Well, You would think so if you look at the facts of who Hillary Clinton is and what she's done for the last 40 years. Yeah, lying murderous. I I would say that. I don't know what cankles are, but, hey, you know, if they're bad, I'm sure she's got them, okay? But the lying murderous part, oh, you bet. Let's just take a look at Hillary Clinton for the last 40 years. One amateur political observer on my Fedbook page called her Lady Trump. Another one of my regular dyspetic pen pals calls her Hildebeest a derided, and derided her appearance. I wrote him back asking for a photo of himself. He sent me one. Hillary can relax. Oh, that's very funny. Aren't you funny? Aren't you clever? <laughs> Think of her worst moments. Does she exaggerate? Mm, okay. She's in politics. Does Trump exaggerate? 
are there any Trump vote, voters out there equally offended by his flat-out lies, or is it just the woman in the race? What flat-out lies exactly has Donald Trump told? See, that's the whole thing. They, they, they say this. Flat-out lies by Donald Trump. And I'm not defending Donald Trump, but if Donald Trump is telling flat-out lies... Uh, I'd like to, uh, why don't you point out one or two, huh? I mean, I'd like to know what they are exactly so I can check it out myself. You see, just calling somebody a flat-out liar isn't good enough. I got 40 years of lies that I can pull up from Hillary Clinton, and I don't even have to go back 40 years. We can just go to the, oh, why don't we go to Congress, do you think, oh, and we can all say, well, this is very clever. This is very clever. How lawyer-like of you. This is very smart. And maybe it is very smart. Certainly seemed to keep her out of prison. But really, is the kind of person, and this is what we have to consider here, folks, when it comes to people like Hillary Clinton. We might be able to say, well, that was very smart. That was very clever. You really are a slick criminal who knows how to get away with stuff, and we get it. When you get up in front of Congress and 80 times you tell them, I don't recall, I don't remember, can you rephrase the question? No, I don't recall, I'm sorry. Can you rephrase that? I don't understand the question. I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall. 80 times. Okay. So I can respect that as a, all right, fine, you know, don't talk to police, don't admit anything, make them prove everything. I get that. I understand that, and I can respect that. However, not from somebody who's acting supposed to be, now follow along here, executing a trust in my behalf. I don't want my bene- my fiduciary lying to me like that. And when they lie to Congress like that, they are lying to you because those are supposedly your representatives asking her questions on your behalf on TV and everything so you can see them. And 80 times she don't remember. See, that's fine. It's like my daddy told me. And he didn't encourage me to lie to other people. But he made it very clear that he understood that happens sometimes. But lying to him ever was not going to be tolerated in any way. See, there is a difference. Okay? There is a difference. You know, Hillary and Bill want to lie to each other about whatever. They can lie all day to each other. I don't care. But you know what? When I hire you for a job, you better not lie to me. And that's what Hillary Clinton has done all these years. Trump says that he's she's an enabler of Bill Clinton. I would think anyone thinking of voting for Trump is an enabling a truly mentally ill con artist. Uh, but let's look at that assertion for fun. Bill gets caught. It's embarrassing. It, He's been with a bunch of other women, which isn't exactly a breaking news alert for Hillary. She has even said that Bill is a hard dog to keep on the porch. 
So she stays with him. Perhaps she actually loves him enough to forgive him. <laughs> Are we supposed to believe this fairy tale here? Is that enabling? If you're in politics, everything is cynical, right? Or maybe some things are just as they appear. Do you hate Hillary Clinton for being a liar? Do you hate Trump for being a liar? Well, let, let's point out some of the lies. Where are the lies? Where are the lies? Now, she, do you hate President Ronald Reagan for lying? Why, yes, I do. But what's that got to do with Donald Trump? Was Donald Trump an enabler of Ronald Reagan? Hmm? I don't think so. That's it for that that story there, because, you know, what passes for journalism is really sad, and it wasn't even written that well, and this woman thinks she's very clever and all that, but, oh, I just, I guess I don't like it because she's a woman. That's got to be it, because there's never any other reason to not like any woman about anything over anything they say or do or anything. Everything a woman does is great, and if you don't see that, you're just a misogynist. Uh-huh. That is a radical feminist opinion. And you want to know, folks, where all this homo this and homo that, and transgender this and transgender that came from? I'll tell you, it came from the feminists. That's where it came from. They're the ones to thank for this. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few. Well, sometimes I love your mama, then again I don't. Well, sometimes I love your baby, then again I don't. Sometimes I want to quit you, but then again I won't. And that's your misery You got to tell me Now what you gonna do? Yeah, I'd like to know that, baby You got to tell me What you gonna do? Why you try to love me But you won't be true
function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? 
Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is about 1246 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. Took a break a little late, so that's why we're a little late being back. But hey, we're back. Anyhow, 
It's still Monday, still May 23rd, and it's still 2016, except now, like I said, it's about 1246 out here on the Pacific Time Coast, 800-932-1980s to call in. You can also go to the chat room at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, and uh, you'll see the chat link over on the left-hand side. Click it, pick a name, pick a password. You're in there. It's that easy. All right, let's see here. What else, what else, what else? Oh, here's something that, uh, I don't know, how many of you want to argue with this? This headline, U.S. needs war. The more terrible, the better. Well, golly. Who'd have thunk such a thing, huh? I mean, just seeing as how we've been in war since basically the day I was born. One, one war or another. Washington has to constantly create an enemy image given tight dependence on the economy on military industrial complex. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But it's not just the economic industrial, you know, military complex. It's also the old adage, look, if if you're looking at that enemy over there, you're not looking at me. Your real enemy. If I can keep you distracted, thinking there's an enemy somewhere, a boogeyman behind the bush, you're not going to look at me. You're going to be looking behind the bush there. A A strategic culture foundation's author, Finian Cunningham, wrote, Attempts to present Russia as a threat are absurd, but the U.S. power elite should somehow justify $600 billion dollars weapons expenditures each year. Oh, and they're doing it again. I've got this other story here. The New York Times has completely lost their mind, and they don't care at all about facts or, you know, what's actually going on. They are absolutely 100% pushing the propaganda coming out of, I don't know where, the State Department, the White House, the, the Central Bank. I don't know. But it's absolute fiction. Just, oh, Russia's a threat. Oh, Russia's being aggressive throughout Europe. Oh, Russia's a real, you know, oh, we need to move troops. Russia's not really doing anything. Russia is doing less than I would do if I was Russia. Oh, I had ended this Ukraine thing. You know, I'd have done the Ukraine like, uh, you know, Putin did Syria. And you want to know what happened in the Syria, what Russia actually accomplished? Because they stopped, right? They said, okay, that's it. That's good enough. Why? Why didn't they just roll through the whole country and occupy it or something? Why did they just pound away like they did? I'll tell you why. They were exposing Washington, D.C.'s lies to the rest of the world. Washington, D.C. was telling everybody, oh, ISIS, we're fighting ISIS, and they're the bad guys, and we're the good guys, and we're riding in our white hats, and this is why we need to just occupy everybody's country so we can come and help you fight ISIS. Except they were never winning. They were never beating ISIS. The ISIS just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And why? Because they were lying. They were 
funding them, they were supplying them, and they were giving them free pass and just pretending to conduct some kind of war against them. So Russia came in and pounded the crap out of them and said, well, there you go. That's how you do it. What's the problem? Didn't hear much out of Washington, D.C., did you? You know why? Because they did what they always do, and that's they went silent. They went quiet. We're just not going to talk about it anymore. It's what they do in court, folks. When you get them by the short hairs and they got to let you go, they don't tell you why. They don't say, well, good job. You really got us, and uh, gee, this is how you did it. No. They just stop talking and say, you can go now. The journalist noted in his article that the military-industrial complex has really become a defining feature of the American society and economy, as the President Dwight Eisenhower warned in 1961. He stated that for the latest years, defense budget of the U.S. made up about $600 billion a year. That is more than half of all the discretionary spending of the government and over a third of world military spending. Cunningham pointed out that the American free market capitalism has become an oxymoron, taking into account that the country's economy is totally dependent on government-funded militarism. Well, it's not just government-funded militarism, folks. It's government-funded everything. Now, I, I was trying to point this out last week that, look, it's the statistics pretty much show that right about 50% of everybody working in America works for the government in one way or another. Federal, state, local. 50%. Could be a little more, could be a little less, but it's right around 50% of the people directly work for the government. They get a government check for working. This does not count all the people on welfare, okay? This does not count all the assistance out there. 49 million people on food stamps, it doesn't count them, okay? Because generally speaking, if you're working for the government, you're not getting food stamps because your pay is anywhere from double to a third more than somebody in a comparable private sector business, doing the same stuff you're doing, you're just getting paid a lot more because you work for the government. So you're generally not getting food stamps. So we got 49 million other people. So you see how this is a problem? Then, and I'm not even talking about military contractors, okay? I haven't, that, not even, not even. 50% then 49 million on food stamps. How many others in free housing? How many others getting an actual check for welfare every month? How many others getting a Social Security check? And you may think that, oh, well, I paid into that. So what? You paid federal taxes, too. You paid your property tax, too. You paid a lot of taxes. You ever get any of that back? What makes you think you're entitled to it? Because they told you? The only reason they told you that was so they could trick you into stealing your money in the first place. It's a supplemental federal income tax. It is not a trust fund. It is not an insurance policy. 
Okay? It's nothing. So don't get this thing in your head that you're owed Social Security any more than you're owed to get back any of the other taxes you paid. It's a tax, plain and simple. Social Security is nothing but a benefit program. You're not entitled to it. They could wipe it out, stroke of a pen, nothing you could do about it. You could all get in your wheelchairs and protest Washington. Yeah, that that would do a lot. Mm-hmm. So, what do we got now? We've got all these people on Social Security. We've got 49 million people getting food stamps. We've got millions of others just getting money, getting free housing, free medical. What about Medicare, Medicaid? See, why I bring all this stuff up is not for the expenditures, okay? Because it really doesn't matter, uh, okay? They just borrow the money into existence, and they obviously don't care how far in debt they go. Or as Hillary Clinton would say, what does it matter anyway? That's their attitude about it. So it's not the expenditures that is the important part. What it is, is the fact that what they do is subsidize everything, okay? What would happen if tomorrow Medicare and Medicaid just said, well, that's it. We're not making any more payments. We're not paying any more hospitals. Do you realize how many hospitals would go out of business? Do you know how many hospitals would have to close their doors? Just bang, one day, boom, we're over. Where would all those people get medical attention? They'd probably be better off without it, but hey. Same thing happens if, oh, oh, let's say the government tomorrow says, well, that's it. No more food stamps for anybody. No more free housing and no more checks in the mail for welfare. None. Okay, fine. So, obviously, we'd have riots and everybody would be upset, but that's not even what I'm focusing on. What I'm focusing on is, what about all those so-called private businesses in the neighborhoods that all these people with their food stamps and their free money checks that they got from welfare, where, what about all those businesses that are no longer going to have any of that? How much longer can they stay in business? They can't. They will go out of business. What about if they say, well, all you hard-working government employees, guess what? You're all fired. We're shutting it down. You don't have any more paycheck. Okay, fine. They're going to be miserable. They're going to lose their houses. They're going to lose a lot of stuff. But what about all the businesses that they go to? What about all the places they buy food? What about all the restaurants they go to eat? What about the car dealerships they buy new cars from? They're going to stop doing all that. Do you see how insidious the government handouts have become? It isn't about the expenditures. It's about the control. They absolutely can destroy the whole economy and everyone's life. They can put businesses private businesses out of business by stop paying stop paying if the government stops shelling out money almost every business in America goes belly up then we get to the military industrial complex <laughs> well what about all those people 
What about all those people working in the military-industrial complex, getting a paycheck? Wow, they're getting paid well, and now that we don't do that anymore? Do you see the catastrophe that would happen in America? You know, everybody likes to say, well, you know, hey, just stop giving welfare, just stop giving this, just stop doing this, just stop doing... Well, yeah, that'd be fine. Get ready for the dark ages for a while because it would collapse everything. Because we are no longer an oxymoron, huh? We don't have a free market capitalism going on anymore. This is absolute 100% communism where the government controls everything in the economy. And they might not do it with the, uh, you know, like Soviet Union. Russia did. I mean, yeah, okay, they had strict controls and rationing, and they, they really micromanaged every little aspect of every little thing, and it didn't work out. But here, here, they don't micromanage private businesses. I mean, they do, and everybody thinks it's, a, you know, too many regulations, and it probably is. But the bottom line is, eh, you want to do a business, you can do a business pretty much. But not without government money, you can't. Because, you see, if they stop giving out government money, all those people that go to your business, they won't be coming to your business anymore because there won't be any money for them. Which means there won't be any money for you. Which means you got to go out of business. This is a terrible situation. And there is no easy, oh, well, we'll just do this. And No, we can't just do anything. We didn't get in this mess by just doing one thing, and we're not going to get out of it by just doing one thing. We're going to have to make some serious changes over a long period of time, and we got to get started sometime. Anyhow, as far as getting started goes, that's it for me for right now. Coming up next is Financial Survival. I'm sure they've got more great news about the uh, economy, and ways that you can protect yourself. So I'd listen if I was you, and we got a full day coming up after that. As always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. 
If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. And I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Well, as I thought, we'd have a little bit of pressure on uh, gold this week. You have gold down 170 right now. They come back from the lows. So we're looking at 1249.70. 1249.70 for gold. We have silver down 0.13 at 1648. Platinum is down 10 at 1015. Palladium is down 9 at $554. The USDX today uh, was higher most of the day, down just slightly 02 at 95.25. Crude oil was down 23 at 48.18. And the paper markets today, you have the Dow. That's been all over the page, too. Down 7 at 17,493. The NASDAQ down 3, 47.65. S&P down 4 at 2408. 10-year yield, 184. And the euro, 112. I think you need to take another look at the standard and poor's number. Well, you know what, my computer did do something funky. Mm-hmm. Um, let me pull it up again. Pretty sure it's not 2408. I'm reading 2049. Okay, be that way. Uh-huh. 2000. Yeah, two, what did I say? You said 2408. No, well, maybe so. <clears throat> then I'll have to look at my... Pay attention now. <laughs> I am paying attention. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. 2048 up or down four. Down four. All right. Okay with me? Okay. <laughs> Japan uh, foreign markets, they were all down overnight. Germany is back down below 10 quite a bit at 98.42. Um, I guess Greece went ahead to go, went ahead and decide to increase taxes and. Uh, and then add a little more austerity programs uh, um, in order to get some money. And um, 
Well, here's here's a little article from CNBC. All right, and it's just it's it's a video, and what it comes down to is Society General's Toby Lawson said governments are now focusing on fiscal measures and coordinated efforts to try to drive economic activity. The headline is monetary policy isn't enough to spur economic growth. Uh, there's the headline. Monetary policy is administered by these central banks. And they have basically two things they can do. They can they can fool with the interest rates, and they can supply more or less money. They can inject money into the economy under the form of quantitative easing, or they can have uh, near zero interest rates under ZERP, right, and perhaps negative interest rates under NERP. Right? But what they're saying is monetary policy, meaning the policy is controlled by central banks, isn't enough to spur economic activity. And this is a this is a regular theme. We've heard this repeatedly over the course of the last maybe six, eight weeks, where people, spokesmen for central banks, are saying, we can't do this. This is beyond our capability, and we need more fiscal measures, which are government measures, to spur the economy. <clears throat> Now, what can government do to spur the economy? And the answer is spend more money, or less. But to spur the economy, they have to spend more money. There's only two ways they can get the money to spend. One is they can raise taxes. They can increase tax revenues to spend more money. And two is they can borrow more and go deeper into debt to spend more money. Well, the government's ability to borrow more money has been inhibited for the past several years and they have been forced to rely on selling their bonds to the federal reserve in order to generate more in more fiat dollars to inject into the economy the federal reserve began to taper off on that back in 2014 and they and they have diminished the amount of their would they have at least lost enthusiasm for buying more government bonds private Private parties have basically bailed out several years ago. They're still buying them, but not to the extent that was true in the past. The point is, when they start talking about monetary policy isn't enough, and they need from, from the central banks, and they need to focus on fiscal measures from the government, this is parallels what you're talking about with Greece, where they're raising taxes. They can't borrow anymore. Greece can't pay the bills it has. I mean, nobody in the right mind. Hey, how about buying a Greek bond, folks? We can get you a really spectacular interest rate on a Greek bond. Now, they'll probably never actually pay it. But if you want to uh, you know, invest a Greek bond, now's the time. You can really get a, a wonderful deal, except they'll never come through on it. Same thing in this country. When they start talking about governments are focusing on fiscal measures... The implication is that government is at least thinking about raising taxes, just as they're doing in Greece, in order to and perhaps put people into austerity, right? Just to try to pay, find a way to pay existing bills. The whole thing is crazy, but it's it's crazy, it's dangerous, and it's one of the consequences of our fiat monetary system. But you know what's interesting, too, is the people in Greece elected Cyprus in order, thinking that uh, he would be doing a lot for them. And, uh, of course, it's seen that his hands are tied. There was, a, there was elections uh, in Austria 
where the people were going to a uh, anti-immigrant far right. Uh, that election, uh, he almost, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was only a 0.6% difference. Um, the, the Van der Bellen received 50.3% and the Freedom Parties uh, received 497 And the Freedom Party was the one that wanted to move to the right and then Correct. slow down immigration or stop it. Correct. And so, you know, the people are speaking out. Uh, we have uh, what's going on. I guess the Fran- uh, France has their elections next year. And uh, certainly the uh, Conservative Party, um, led by Le Pen, um, you know, she is, uh, uh, that's going to be a tough battle. You have Germany, who has elections next year. Um, they're trying to keep everything with Greece flowing. So, you know, Merkel can still um be the head of Germany, so she gets reelected. So it's amazing how things change during elections. And uh, uh, but the people are speaking. The people people are worn out with it. But they're they're not winning. Listening? They're not winning. But is anyone <laughs> they're listening? trying. Yeah, they're is trying. Listening. There's the point. And you mentioned that Greece elected Zyprus to to try to save the uh, the situation. They recognized they had a lot of trouble. They they elected Zyprus. He was going to be their hero and the rest of that sort of thing. But now it turns out his hands are tied and he can't do anything. Well, we can ask ourselves, it looks, it looks as if the American people are getting ready to elect Donald Trump. But will he, expecting that he will save the situation? And I wonder how much he's going to wind up paralleling Zippers in the sense that he's going to find out he's going to get in the White House and find his hands are tied and he can't do anything after all. So we'll watch and see. The people are speaking, but is anybody listening? Can anyone listen? And do the people even know what they're talking about? All right? When the people are speaking, what are they talking about? We have a debt-based monetary system. And in the end, when the people are speaking, they're saying we need to get this debt off our backs. We do. We destroy our collateral. We are trapped, and the people don't get this. Huh? They don't understand that you wipe out the debt, you wipe out the correlative paper assets. Yet we are caught in a paper debt trap that we cannot exit painlessly. The Greeks can't get out of it painlessly. We won't be able to either. And the only answer to these solutions is bankruptcy, which the establishment will not tolerate. They, need, they want to get paid on their debts on the debts that are that are owed to the establishment. They don't want to just write these off. And the system can't stand writing them off. We're a terrible predicament. We're in a terrible predicament. And the people kind of sense it. They're saying, hey, let's get somebody to save us from this stuff. But we're going to need, you're going to need more of a savior than has been presented so far in, in secular politics. How do you deal with debt that can't be paid? And then in a month from now, we have the Brexit, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure our rate increase to some degree is um, will be determined by what happens because it all happens around the same time. So you think the Federal Reserve will say yes or no to the interest rate, depending in part on whether possible Britain. the direction it goes yeah if you're going to have a big if if the, the brexit affects the markets negatively 
um, yeah, she, she's not going to do a rate increase. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. It might, might not be the only thing, but absolutely it's part of it. Well, when we talk about affecting the markets negatively, people have warned that the Brexit, if, if Britain exits from the, its association with the European Union, the Eurozone, they, if they break that up, people have warned that it will cause a decline in the British stock market. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that will really happen as a consequence or that's just one of those threats where if you don't do what I say, the house will catch on fire. No, it won't. But let's suppose it were true that the British stock market was going to decline. Would that decline necessarily help cause a decline in the U.S. stock market or would money flee from Britain and come over to the U.S. stock market and actually cause an increase? Oh, I don't. I, you know, I think it's it's about a loss of confidence, and I think when things happen, no, I think it, it results in it, it, when if you would have England's markets drop, if you have Europe's markets drop, the rest of the world going to drop. I mean, Probably. we are we are that interconnected. We are that interconnected anymore, and that's why she would basically. Um, you know, hold back on a rate increase. If, if, you know, like I said, I think it plays a part. Is it playing the other part? I, I, I don't know. You can debate both sides, you know, whether Brexit, whether Brexit will be bad or, or will be negative or a positive. Um, you know, they're not on the, the, the euro. You know, I mean, they kept their own currency. Yeah. So I think that's a big, a big part. If they were on the euro, yeah, they wouldn't be leaving, you know, so... I don't think I don't know how much England really or the, really played a big part in the eurozone. I mean, maybe certainly for trade, but you know they've had pressure too. You you saw, you know, um, Scotland wanted to pull away. So you you seeing all these you seeing all these changes in these in various nations. You know, trying to break out on their own, trying to break out because I think they know the system. You know, they don't want to be part of the big collapse that's coming. Yep, I agree. The rats are leaving the sinking ship. That's what's going on here, at least to some extent. At least the rats are talking about getting off the ship. Um, Whether they get off or not remains to be seen, but the rats seem to know that the ship is headed toward the bottom. Therefore, let's get clear. Speaking of the Fed Fed, uh, interest rate hike, which is June 14th and 15th, that's when they'll be meeting, and that's when they will decide. I don't know that they will implement at that point in time. That will be their next opportunity. El Arian, there's a headline from Bloomberg that says, El Arian says Fed is talking up rate hike as global yields rise. Mohamed El Arian said Federal Reserve officials are promoting the idea that they're preparing to raise interest rates. As global bond as a global bond market rally comes to a halt, officials continue to talk up an increase. Elorian said he's the chief economic advisor at Alliance SE and a Bloomberg columnist. John Williams, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, said Sunday on Fox News that the U.S. economy should be solid enough to merit raising interest rates in 2016. I didn't say June, but he says it should be in 2016. Aaron Rosengren, 
head of the Boston uh, Federal Reserve Bank, said the U.S. is near the threshold for a move. But Hillarian is essentially saying they're talking about it, they're talking about it, they're talking about it. He thinks that talk may signal they, they might actually raise the rates. Uh, but is it just more deception, more nonsense? You know, what do you think, Melody? What do you think the chances are that they will actually raise interest rates on June 14th to 15th in the next meeting? I don't, I don't think she will. I don't think they will either. I don't think she will. You know, and it's just like, why don't they just come out and say it? But, you know, it's... Yeah, that's part of the deal. You know, it's like the dance of the you know, seven veils. Oh, get it over with. You know, just, just, just get on with this and get, get it over with. I think the problem is the last time they raised rates was next was last December, and the next thing that happened was a significant decline in the stock market in January and decided on into February, and on into February which people traced to the small raise in interest rates. Um, if they were to raise interest rates again, and if it triggered, and if it was followed by another significant decline in the stock market, it would be evidence they don't know what they're doing. And I think, I think it's, it's just a risk that I don't expect them to take right now. They may do it. You know, there's no telling, but I don't, I don't, I don't think the Federal Reserve will take the risk of raising interest rates in June and then risk having another, having a second decline in the stock market in uh, July, August. Um, just bad business, shouldn't take that risk, and therefore uh, I'd bet that they're going to postpone this for later in the year, if at all this year. Maybe one time this year, one more time this year, maybe, but... If I had to guess, it's going to be third, fourth quarter. And I think that's why we've seen some pressure on gold. Of course, you know, the, you know, there's there's no direction. I think once she makes the statements, whether she does or whether she doesn't, I think you'll see gold rise. Um, uh, you know, unless something happens from left field, I think you'll you'll see. I think you'll see gold maintain around this level, the twelve fifty level. You know, until there's a little more, you know, meat added. Um, uh, well, we'll watch the price of gold to to rise, but well, we're waiting to find out. Let's take some commercial announcements, and then we'll be right back on financial survival. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom. Please stay tuned. Aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 
229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Adis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. What's next, Melody? I just want to remind the listeners to give us a, a call for all your gold and silver, and we got some great specials going on. And make sure you visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. And, of course, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. comes out on Mondays, and uh, we have a caller, Al. No kidding. Mm. And who could it be? I have no idea. Some guy, I think, from, I don't know where, West Virginia? East Virginia? East Virginia or West Virginia? One of those places. Let's ask him. (laughs) Caller, are you from East Virginia or West Virginia? I'm from Central West Virginia. Central. That's Central West Virginia. Not East West Virginia. No. Mm -mm. All right. All right. Good enough. This is Jim from West Virginia. Hello, Jim. What up? Well, a number of different times, different subjects have come up, and I thought I need to find a place in the program I can slip this information in, and time and time again, it just didn't happen. Well, several things I decided I'm going to make an opportunity or two. Uh, monetary policy is not enough to stimulate the economy. Duh, there has to be rules, regulations, and uh, a lot of people who are immune to the law need to be gotten out of the way finally. There's a guy who's focusing attention on it, Alex. And the guy has written a book called Texas Shrugged, where he's bringing all this out since 1946, Administrative Procedures Act. 
so maybe it'll get some mileage. We'll find out. Now, also, several years back, well, I've been in contact with a fellow who has an extended family member in Greece, all their life in Greece, has connections in the government and the police and the military. No biggie deal. any rate, time and time again I've heard, oh, the European governments wanted the European Union, but the people didn't. Well, the explanation is actually rather simple. The governments were told, if your people riot, we'll send in foreign troops. Same thing Hitler did. He used uh, troops from East Germany to squash West Germany, vice versa. So the governments thought, oh, goody, we can really do the citizens. And if they get unhappy, oh, in come the foreign troops. And the police and the military were told, you can just kind of exit the nation. And so they stayed loyal to the government. Well, well what you're saying is that the European Union is intended at, at, at the foundation is they intend to subject the people to a kind of tyranny. And you can either go along with the program or we're going to put a bayonet to your back. Um, you can voluntarily go or you can go at the point of a bayonet. But the, you're saying that from the beginning this was not intended to be a benign institution. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. The Greeks were rioting here a couple of years ago, and they did not pull in the foreign troops. But there's an undercurrent of great fear in Europe that they will do this. Where are these foreign troops? But they mean foreign troops. If they riot in Spain, they're going to bring in troops, for example, from Germany or from France. Is that what we're talking about when we say foreign troops? We don't mean troops from outside the European Union. We mean troops from another country within the European Union. Within. Mm -hmm. Well, Catalonia, they were rioting, and we didn't have German troops there. But there is that undercurrent. The French should have been rioting a long time ago with their tax rates. That's part of the reason they're not rioting. Now, it's even worse in Greece than, say, people want to voice. Let's say you're a single guy. You can get, I think it's $57 a day out of your bank account. Let's say you're a mother and father of four. $57 doesn't go very far. And women over there are prostituting themselves to single men for money. That's how bad the breakdown is. Yeah. That's how bad things have gotten in Greece. And there's only one solution to this, is they need to declare bankruptcy and write off the existing debt, and they'll go through a couple bad years, more or less like Iceland did, and then they can recover if they are inclined to actually work their way out of this and become prosperous and, and productive again. But if they're going to, one way or another, if they're going to try to hang on to this debt and the illusion that Greece will somehow pay, it's just an illusion. They're never going to really pay the debt. Impossible. They can drag it on and drag it on. All it means is the people of Greece will be subjected to more and more austerity while they ostensibly try to pay a debt that can't be paid. File for bankruptcy, walk away, start over. It'll be difficult. It won't be painless, but it won't last forever. Well, maybe if uh, Britain exits, maybe Greece, Greece will be next. Any rate, that's heartbreaking. But that's how bad things are in Greece. Another issue, which is very simple, you're referring to tools of, of you know that monetary policy can't fix the economy. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, okay, let's look at government for what it really is. What tools it has? A carpenter has saws, hammers, tape measures. 
plumber, a little different set of tools, electrician, and others. Here's what government has for their tools. And you better just take your blinders off and look at this, because the truth throughout history, they can kill, steal, destroy, kidnap, enslave, lie, make promises they have no intention to fulfill. Now that, in a nutshell, is government. Those are its tools. And if you think that it's anything other than a thug, you're crazy. No, and you know, there's evidence to support your contention. Some people listening and say, oh, that's too cynical, that's not valid. We we don't really look at government as some sort of an enemy, adversary, potential, I don't know, uh, crime boss. But in fact, the founding fathers understood that government was dangerous from the beginning. And it's exactly why they devised a constitution that had a separation of powers, checks and balances, a bill of rights, every bit of it, the voting every two years and presidential every four years, the right to keep and bear arms, freedom of the press, every bit of that was intended to protect us against government. They understood from the gov- from the beginning, from the onset of this country, that government was a necessary evil. You wind up having a habit, but it's a dangerous, dangerous. What did what did Washington say? He said, "Government like fire is a dangerous servant and a fearful master." Bingo! At no power. point did he say did he say that government is <laughs> the government is here to help you. Bunk! It is not. They understood it at the beginning. We have forgotten it. And if anybody reminds the public about it today, they say, oh, my gosh, the government's here to help you. No, you be dumb. You believe the government is here to help you. You be dumb. All right? The government, again, a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And we are a lot closer to having a fearful master than merely having a dangerous servant right now. But that was George Washington. So my point is your observation that the government is a dangerous adversary not a benign, not some benefactor, but a dangerous adversary. Your observation is exactly right, and it's been right for several hundred years. I mean, it's been right Under. throughout human history. It's been right. right throughout human history, but in this country, it's been, they have recognized it from the beginning. And they did well, the best they could to protect we the people from the government. They, they gave us everything they knew how to give us back there with the Constitution and also the Articles of Confederation and the Declaration of Independence. They laid it out. They gave us everything we could, they could possibly do. Say, here, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself. And we have been conned, conditioned and deceived into believing that the government is here to help us and nothing could be further from the truth. And if we don't regain that knowledge, that you know, people talk. What's it mean to be an anti? What's it mean to be a government? Uh, to be an, a good American? I would say it means living in harmony with the spirit of the Constitution. What's the spirit of the Constitution? It is an anti-government document. It says you only get this much power. We're giving you limited powers. You can't cross these lines. They cross them every day. Right. Well, what? One time somebody said that our Constitution was God's law uh, modified for everyone. I tend to agree with that. Now, there's something else I need to mention here. There is a 1611 Bible term, publican. It means people farmer. Not farming the land, farming people. 
Now, all you predatory, carnivorous, parasitic people farmers out there, you tax men, you rule and regulation flingers, you self-righteous blankety-blanks, I'm going to tell you right now, you're running out of food. You have killed the goose that laid the golden egg. I looked at requirements for going into business. Just the commercial insurance, it was like, oh, my God. And I work for myself most of my working time. But basically, folks, you little publicans have done run out of food, and it's going to get very bloody sometime soon. And no government can fix this. We're consuming resources right and left. We're not producing resources. You better get ready for some tough times. I don't know whether the dollar's going to inflate itself to hell or whether it's going to be declared bankruptcy. I don't know. Nobody but there knows. Is, there is no solution for what we're going to hit. There so is no try. painless solution. That's what it comes no. down to. The problem, the fundamental problem to my mind is we have run up a debt that is unpayable, point one. Debt can't be paid, and, the, and every dollar of debt that the government has issued in the national debt there is a correlative asset sitting out there that's called the United States bond. And when they default on the debt, they have to admit that the bonds are worthless and people are holding bonds in their pension funds. People are holding bonds in their banks and their safety deposit boxes. They think they've got forms of wealth, a U.S. bond. They can't all be paid. Sooner or later, this is going to come to the fore and people are going to realize they have lost their assets because they invested, they trusted the government. Right? People had any sense, you know, you would trust government as far as you can throw the Washington Monument, and a lot of people are not just trusting the government, they depend on the government for their support, and they're, and they're going to be just enraged and terrified when government all of a sudden has to admit, gee whiz, we can't, we can't make those welfare payments, we can't make those business subsidies, we can't continue to provide free lunches. There's going to be a bunch of people in this country that are going to scream because they don't know how to support themselves. So, well, headed for difficult times, and it will be a learning experience. And it will well, probably take five years or a decade for the American people to figure out that, uh-oh, you mean we really have to work to support ourselves? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now. There's one thing from people who have been through this from other countries. Several people said, everything you think is normal changes. So, folks, get ready to weather the storm. Mm-hmm. I think I've had my little say. I've tied up a few loose ends. I've been meaning to tie up for uh, years. I'll torture you guys right. later, okay? Thanks, Talk Jim. Jim. Yeah. All right, that's Jim from West Virginia. Uh where shall we go next, Melody? Do you have any comment? Anything you'd like to add, subtract? No. Amend? I have nothing to say after that. Leet out, just in case anybody from... We really love you guys in the government. We were just kidding, you know, when we said we couldn't trust you. Of course we can't trust you. You know, and I mean, you can see evidence of this. What do you get... What do government employees expect for pensions, typically? It's a whole bunch more than you'll get out of Social Security. And the people who collect Social Security 
generally speaking, made a productive contribution to this society. You can't make that argument for government employees. Now, you can make it, some of them are make. I understand that there's some things that need to be done by government. The rest of it, there's a lot of people up there that are just welfare recipients who can't just stay home. They actually just have to show up at a job and fool around for eight hours a day, five days a week, before they can go home and get paid twice a month. Doing what? Shuffling papers? Where's the productivity? You know, anyone who's working for the government and think you're earning your pay, put an ad in the newspaper. And say, I'm willing to work for $75,000 a year to shuffle your papers and regulate you. And see how many people say, oh, well, I'll hire you. I have experience. I have experience regulating, shuffling papers. And I only need 75. See if you can get your same pay, whatever it is, 35000 whatever it is. Doing what you're doing for government. See if you can get a job in the private sector. I've seen reports that federal at the federal level, you can the the typical bureaucrat, the typical government employee, is being paid double what he could make doing the same job in the private sector. Where does that double come from? Guy's making two hundred percent of what he's worth. Other people don't get two hundred percent of what they're worth. How come government employees, or at least at the federal level, do? <clears throat> How can, and where is that extra hundred percent coming from? It's coming from the people who actually work for a living. Government is feeding off the people who really work for a living. Government is predating off the people who work for a living. And they just say, well, yeah, we're the government. We're entitled. We're going to get an extra fat pension. And in many instances, we only have to work for 20 years before we can retire. Let those chumps out there that call taxpayers, they can work for 40 years, maybe more, before they get to retire. And when they do, they'll have a modest retirement from Social Security. We work for the government, baby. And we after we can we after working twenty years, at least in many instances, we can retire and begin collecting right now. We retire at age forty, forty five. The whole thing is it's it's insane and it's predatory is my point, more than anything else. It's absolute evidence that's right there. You can see that the government is not here to help us. The government is here to exploit us. And if you want to live with that well, good luck, because it can't continue. Sooner or later, the government is going to have to start becoming productive or it's going to have to be reduced in size. And uh, the change will be dramatic. A lot of people are going to scream and cry, but there's a certain justice behind it. I'm Alfred Addis. We're here at Financial Survival with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. 
easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Here's an article from <clears throat> Ms. Shedlock at uh, mistalk.com. Um, headline is 407,000 workers stunned as pension fund proposes 60% cuts. Treasury says not enough. The Central States Pension Fund, which handles the retirement benefits of 407,000 current and former Teamster Union truck drivers across various states, applied for benefit reductions uh, and to the, to the U.S. Treasury Department. The, currently, the plan pays out $3.46 in pension benefits for every $1 it receives from employers. Okay, this is the Central States Pension Fund. That's a drain of $2 billion per year. Now, the plan they filed with the Treasury called for a 60% cut in union pensions. All right? 60%. Now, we're not talking about, oh, we're going to, oh, oh, my gosh, they're going to cut my pension by 10%. No, they're not. They're going to cut it by 60%, and that was at least the proposal. But the Treasury Department has the final say on these proposals, and the verdict came in that, that the cuts are not deep enough. 60% is not enough of a cut in the, in the Teamster pension funds, at least from uh, central state pension funds. 60% is not enough. Central the Central States Pension Fund has no new plan to avoid insolvency. Without government funding, the fund will run out of money in 10 years. And when they say without government funding, <clears throat> what they're essentially saying is, look, charge those taxpayers, make them pay. 
No reason why we guys in the Teamsters Union should pay for our own pensions. No reason why we should be responsible just because we employed a bunch of idiots as as pension fund managers and idiots as Teamster leaders. We shouldn't be responsible for our mistakes. Make the taxpayers pay. They're dumb. They're stupid. They're docile. They'll go along. <clears throat> and that's their complaint. They want the taxpayers to fund their pension funds, and that's just wrong. I should not be responsible for funding someone else's pension. Huh? I should be responsible for funding mine. You should be responsible for funding yours. But we should not be responsible for funding someone else's pension fund. That's something that's up to you. You should take care of each of us on an individual basis. In a last-ditch effort, Central State's pension plan sought government approval to partially reduce the pensions of 115,000 retirees and the future benefits of 155,000 current workers. The proposed cuts were steep, as much as 60% for some, but it wasn't enough. Earlier this month, the Treasury Department rejected the plan because it found out that it would not actually head off insolvency. The Fed could submit a new, excuse me, the fund could submit a new plan. This is the pension fund. It could submit a new plan, but decided this week there's no other way to successfully save the fund and comply with the law. The cuts needed would be too severe. What they're telling us here, what the fund, assuming they're not lying and just taking up a posture and say, oh, gosh, we're going to die if, we don't, if, if you don't give us a break, the pension fund plan, they're telling us, can't be saved no matter what. And to me, this reminds me of, you know, a little mantra I've been, I've been imposing for you for, for several years now. What can't be paid won't be paid. We're coming to the moment. I've been talking about this for four or five years. We, the debt is too big, and sooner or later we're going to face the fact the debt can't be paid. This story about the Teamsters pension fund, at least uh, this isn't for every Teamster pension fund. This is for the... Uh, this is for the Central States Pension Fund, which handled benefits for, again, former and current Teamster Union truck drivers. This story, to me, is a leaf in the breeze. And when they're saying 60% of the pe- cut in pensions is not enough, it's not enough. They're giving us a clue of what's happening um, and what's going to happen around the, around the world, uh, around this country. Normally, when a multi employer fund like Central States runs out of money, a government insurance fund called called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, that's PBGC, kicks in so that retirees still receive some kind of benefits. Okay? The pension fund fails. The PBGC, they kick in. They're not to worry. We'll see that you guys get something. Under the PBGC, a retiree would receive a maximum of $35.75 a month for each year that he worked. And and that amounts to $1,072 a month for a retiree who worked 30 years, which is not much better than Social Security. This is the fund, the government fund, that guarantees the private pension fund. See? But there's a problem. The PBGC, the government fund that guarantees this, uh, that protects these other private pensions, 
is also underfunded and isn't expected to be able to cover all the retirees in the central state's pension fund. And my point is that there's a persistent problem here. The Teamster Pension Fund has been underfunded for years, at least the one we're the primary one we've been talking about. The PBGC, the government entity that guarantees pensions, has been also underfunded for years. We are living in a world where both private pensions and government pension guarantee programs have been persistently underfunded. And as a result, people who've relied on the promises, that is to say the debts of private institutions, and the promises, that is to say the debts of government institutions, are going to find themselves betrayed and their retirements ruined. That cause, the cause uh, the, 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 of this ruination will be the false promises that everyone should have known from the beginning that could not be kept. There isn't enough money to keep all of those promises. We call them unfunded liabilities. Government calls them unfunded liabilities. We've been living on some sort of an illusion where people who are running these funds and running the the guarantee mechanisms, oh, well, we, we, this will all work out somehow. No, it's not. No, it's not. We have accepted an unreasonable, false, irrational, deceptive accounting system where government has made promises and promises and promises, and we don't have the money to back up those promises. Those debts can't be kept. Those who believe that the story of the Teamsters Pension Fund is a shocking but isolated event, I mean, oh my gosh, 60%, and the team and the Treasury won't accept it. If you think that's a just an isolated event that only affects uh, uh, Teamsters, you're missing the bigger picture. Pension funds across the nation are frequently underfunded. Retirees who depend on these pension funds will have to learn to make do with less than they'd expected. Some may never be able to retire. Others are going to have to learn to make do with pensions that are cut by 20%. Some will have to make do with pensions cut by 80%. Some will have to make do with pensions cut by 100%. Our total debt, the national debt, business debt, pension debt, private debt, is too great to ever be repaid in full. As I've argued and predicted for most of five years, when the stuff finally hits the fan, the existing promises to pay, that is to say the debts of government and many private institutions, will be reduced on average by 80 to 90%. If you have a bond that says $100,000 on it, my prediction, and I've been saying this for four or five years now, is that when it hits the fan, when it finally hits the fan, your $100,000 bond is going to be worth between ten dollars and $20,000. There'll be exceptions. It won't happen to every bond, but I'm predicting, I still predict, on average, that you're going to lose 80 to 90% of that paper wealth. <clears throat> the pension fund from the Teamsters Union, and this, the, the story, what we're talking about here, is evidence in support of my predictions. They offered to take a 60% reduction in pension fund monthly benefits paid to retirees, but the Treasury Department rejected the 60% reduction as insufficient. Treasury didn't say how, how much would be sufficient. 
but they're almost certainly not holding out for cuts of 63%. In other words, they're not saying, oh, 60% isn't enough. You've got to jack it up to at least 63%. That's not what we're talking about here. They are quite possibly, although they didn't specify, they are quite possibly holding out for cuts of 80% and maybe more. Right? Furthermore, the team, which is right in line with what I've been predicting for several years, we're going to see 80 to 90% cuts in these paper debt and the value of these paper debt instruments before we're done. Um, further, the Teamster Fund's proposed 60% reduction, no matter how shocking, is one of the earlier pension fund defaults that the government will have to adjudicate. Today, a 60% cut is, is viewed as shock. Oh, my gosh, 60%, that's astonishing. A year or two from now, after more pension funds go through the same process, 60% may be unremarkable and might even be regarded as something of a blessing compared to the 90 to 100% cuts that are almost certain to happen uh, to many of the pension funds, including government pension funds and perhaps even Social Security. The uh, debts are too great to ever be repaid in full or even repaid by half. What can't be paid won't be paid. And the lesson, and, and who's responsible for this? It's not just the government. It's not just the private operators of these pension funds. It's also the people who expected to retire on these pension funds. You're responsible. You're going to take it in the neck if you are depending, many of you, not all of you, but many of you are going to take it in the neck. And why? Because you were sufficiently trusting, ignorant, and lazy to add, to, and you believe what they said. Oh, you're going to retire. You'll be getting $5,000 a month. No, you're not. It's not going to happen. They lied. They really had to know that they were lying. All right? And you went along with it. And you allowed it to go for year after year after year without being funded. That was your pension fund, and you didn't protect it. And now, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost. And I know the pension fund, you know, the beneficiaries and the retirees, that we're just, we were just good people who were trusted. Well, you were stupid to trust. You were foolish. You should have watched out for yourself. It's difficult and challenging, but it's not impossible. At minimum, you could either have had your own retirement fund or you could have been breathing down the necks of whoever's managing the retirement fund you trusted in. You should have been reading their accounting books every single month, quarter, year, however often they produce their accounts. You should have been checking their presumptions, their premises, and you should have been sitting back and saying, this is crazy. You guys aren't going to be able to deliver on your promise to me that I will get X number of dollars when I retire. You should have been breathing down the neck. You didn't. And as a result, you're in a bunch of trouble. Here's something more from Ms. Shedlock. He says, public union whiners. When private pension fans go broke, they go broke, meaning nobody rescues the private pension plans. Public pension plans expect a bailout. Unfortunately for Teamsters, corrupt politicians got in bed with corrupt union leaders making promises both knew could not be met. Nice. And they were making promises that, that they both knew couldn't be met, and they also knew they were making promises that couldn't be re re rejected by the people in the union. It's like me coming up and promising to give everybody $50,000 who listens to this program. 
it's the kind of promise that anybody with a brain could say, that's crazy, he can't pay that. And yet there would be other people. If I actually made that promise, there'd be other people saying, yes, yes, 50 grand for listening to a radio program. We're going to be rich. No, you're not. You're going to go broke. All you got to do is send me $10. $10. Everybody send me $10 for every program that you listen to. And I'll guarantee that you get $50,000 for every program you listen to 20 years from now when you retire. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get the $10 and you're going to get nothing. And you're not going to get nothing simply because I might be unscrupulous and proposing things that can't possibly be true. You're going to get the, you're, you're not going to, I'm going to get the $10. You're not going to get this. You're not going to get the 50 grand because you have been foolish. You expected something that just couldn't be. Um, taxpayers, he talked about the, the problem in Chicago. Public workers have no idea how well off they are, the private is compared to the private sector, yet they demand more and more from a state, that would be Illinois, that's already broke. Taxpayers owe the Chicago Pension Fund absolutely nothing. Bankruptcy is the solution. That's true for <laughs> the painful solution, but it's nevertheless true. It's true for pension funds. It's true for Greece. It's true for before we're done for the United States of America. We're going to say we are done. We're out of time. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, Greg Hunter will join us at that time. Um, hope you'll tune in. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one 40 
$149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings upon their chest These are men, America's best One hundred men will test today But only three win the Green Beret Well, everybody, it's uh, Friday, break day And uh, tonight starts the Sabbath and ends Saturday night. Now, a lot of you uh, may say, Bo, how can you get it so wrong? Uh, Sunday's the Sabbath, but it isn't. And if you don't want to take my word for it, then uh, Billy Graham is, I think, back being stable in uh, the hospital. You can uh, you know, send Billy Graham an email, or uh, talk to the Pope, 
send the Vatican an email and ask them, hey, is Sunday the Sabbath? The Pope represents uh, hundreds of millions of Catholics, and uh, Billy Graham represents a great slice of, uh, of Christians. And so they should know, or they do know, and uh, they'll tell you, no, uh, Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been recognized from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. God's time is lunar, not solar. But uh, we recognize on Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why as Christians uh, we celebrate on Sunday. And uh, the church under Constantine back in uh, 325 uh, took away the Sabbath because they didn't want anything Jewish. The Jews, no matter what you may or may not think of them, plus or minus, uh, have kept the oracles of God as a basic religion. Now, there are Orthodox Jews uh, that uh, have different outlooks than uh, Reformed Jews, etc., and that's all. I'm talking basically about uh, the, you don't have to be a Hasidic Jew, but an Orthodox Jew has kept the feast days. They honor the Sabbath. Uh, they understand uh, what God uh, has instructed for uh, all people to do. And if you're wondering, well, what do you mean all people? I thought it was only Jews uh, that were the chosen ones. Well, if you think the Jews are the chosen ones, then there is a case to be made that, uh, well, where are the Jews? The ten northern tribes were completely decimated uh, back there 1,500 years uh, before Christ when the uh, ten tribes under Jeroboam were conquered, splintered, carried off, wiped out because Jeroboam, if you'll check, he was uh, there in the Solomon Solomon's son was a young fellow named Nehoboam, and neither Jeroboam or Nehoboam, Nehoboam was Solomon's son. Solomon followed David as the second king of Israel. And uh, it was just all of a sudden, now for 2,500 years, there haven't been anybody but Jews. There was this tribe of Judah under Nehoboam, uh, which uh, continued on when the ten northern tribes were seized, enslaved, scattered, killed, and uh, decimated, they were wiped out because they didn't follow God's law. So that leaves this nickname. The tribe of Judah uh, took on the nickname of Jew, the time of Christ, uh, that's all that there was. And uh, so in uh, 70 A.D., Rome came through, wiped out the Jews. 
tore down the second temple. All we have left is what the Muslims claim is the third most uh, holy site, the Dome of the Rock. And all the rest of that rubble is what was the second temple. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has not been in the Holy of Holies in any of the temples since the first temple was raided. The high priest saw the Ark of the Covenant was uh, under uh, threat, and so they hid it. When people came in and tore down the first temple, there was no one. And so uh, the temple is rebuilt. And uh, the temple was standing in the time of Christ, but the Romans in 70 A.D. took it, not one stone left upon another. There was no Ark of the Covenant. So today, being Friday, we reserve for uh, some uh, spiritual nourishment and some contentious things. For example, there is a preacher who has, uh, if not world attention, at least attention uh, of uh, America, because he has signs all over the place that say that Judgment Day is tomorrow. Yeah. Now, this guy is called Harold Campaign. That's his uh, name. He's a pastor. In 1994, he said it was the end of the world. And uh, some people listened to him then and got all squared away in white sheets, standing up on mountains in, uh, in Arizona. And they were just left standing because the world didn't come to an end. In 1994, it says in the Bible that no man knoweth the hour, not even Jesus the Christ, not even the angels. Only the Father knows the hour, but we are given to know the season. And Christ tells us, you will know when the time is because the season is obvious when the trees are green, summer is nigh. Which means to me, when all the prophecies have been fulfilled, when all the feast days have been fulfilled, then comes the end. And uh, you, there are so many things in the Bible that Harold Camping uh, is missing. One is there's a thousand years of peace under the Messiah, the millennial age. So uh, it could start tomorrow, but Harold Camping is talking about a rapture and the judgment day. That kind of flies in the face of what the Bible says, because the Bible says when Christ comes to claim this earth, there'll be a great trump. There's going to be a great battle, Armageddon. And uh, 
Satan is going to lose, and Satan and all of his minions, remember that one-third of the hosts of heaven chose to follow Satan when there was war in heaven. They lost. Satan and his uh, one-third of the, the sons of heaven, they were sent down to be uh, occupiers, disembodied occupiers of the earth, except Satan can appear as an angel of light. And we hear about Satan in the chapters of Job, and we won't go into all that. Anyway, there's a lot of things that have to happen. There has to be an antichrist. There has to be a time when you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast either in your right hand or in your forehead, and we haven't arrived there yet. So uh, while Harold Camping may get a a few uh, people's heartbeat uh, increase, this is not the time and is not even uh, the uh, period of the feast days. It will be the Feast of Trumpets. I believe, now this is the gospel according to Bowl. the next feast that we have is coming up on June the 8th. June the 8th will be Pentecost. That is when the Holy Spirit came. And so we recognize that that was one of the three main feast days where you had to go to the temple. Well, there isn't a temple to go to now. So what we do is recognize it in our homes the best we can, and uh, I'll tell you all about it as we start to draw near, but June the 8th is the Feast of Weeks, as it is known for Pentecost. And then uh, the uh, next feast day, is when Christ will come to claim the earth. That is September this year. It's September the 29th. That is the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, September 29th. Then just 10 days later is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the, uh, the Feast uh, of uh, of forgiveness, if you will. Uh, we who are Christians uh, don't need this feast day. But I think that Yom Kippur uh, is actually for those people who have uh, disenfranchised Christ because of their religion, because of false teachings, Uh, They do not believe that the Messiah has come and been crucified and gone and will come again. And so Yom Kippur uh, is, they have kept the oracles of God. They have done what God has said on the feast days. They have followed God's Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, when Christ comes at Rosh Hashanah, and the great trumpet sounded, and the millennial age starts, and they say, holy cow, uh, we've been wrong. 
Rosh Hashanah, September 23rd this year. October uh, is Yom Kippur, and it's a time of atonement. Christians have already, Christ has atoned for our sins. But I think it's honestly the opportunity for those Jews who have God in their heart, but because of false teachings, have refused the Christ. And then just five days after uh, Yom Kippur, which is only a one-day feast, we have September the 27th, which is uh, Sukkot. It's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It is when God says he promises he will come and dwell with us. And so the seven feast days are Passover and the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit coming, then uh, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and finally, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me give you the days this year, because it's lunar, so it changes, you know, because the moon has slightly different cycle than the sun. Anyway, uh, today we've already gone through Passover, that was April 19th. The next feast day that we go through is June the 8th, and that is Pentecost. And then September 29th is the Feast of Trumpets, when Christ comes to claim the earth. And Yom Kippur, which is the Feast of Atonement, on October the 8th. And October the 13th is the Feast of Passover. Now, you can go to the next to the last book, uh, Zechariah, in the Bible. You go to the last chapter of uh, Zechariah, and you go to the last sentence, <laughs> and it says that uh, we are still going up to the mountain to worship the Feast of Tabernacles. Friends, uh, these feasts, uh, when Christ, a lot of people say, well, Christ uh, fulfilled all the feasts. It means that uh, he did it away with the law. Christ himself said, my coming is to fulfill the law, but not change the law, not one jot or one tittle. And so it was meant to continue. And I think that's what the idea of the Feast of Atonement is. Now, this fellow, Carol Camping, has got quite a following and they think that the world ends tomorrow, and that tomorrow there will be a rapture. And you want to watch out if you believe Harold Camping, because in the rapture, you'll be driving along, and all of a sudden, you get sucked up to someplace. Uh, you may be sitting on the throne, whoop, you're gone, if you are of Christ. And uh, unlike what the Bible says, 
uh, this group will go off with Christ somewhere. The Mormons believe that heaven is at Kolob, K-O-L-O-B, a faraway star. And uh, so maybe they go there if uh, Harold Camping is right. But Harold Camping has been wrong, like in 1994. And the only reason that I tell you this is because uh, of humor, because the Bible says that we're going to have people like Harold Camping who give false prophecy, not based on the Bible. So Harold Camping doesn't, uh, in, in figuring out that tomorrow is the end of the world, and a lot of uh, organizations, civilizations, people, Mayans, for example, they think 2012 is the end of the earth, and it could be. Uh, we could have all of the, I mean, everything is lined up. There's all kinds of of uh, phenomenon going on that could complete the prophecies. But I can tell you, God is not a liar, and so these prophecies will be fulfilled. And it could be 2012. There's still quite a bit of time left in 2012, but there's not a lot of time for these prophecies to be fulfilled by tomorrow. So Harold Camping is just another one of these people. And here's, listen, in the old days, people honored prophets. But when the prophet said something and it didn't happen that way, they stoned them to death. So, Harold, if you are willing to be stoned to death, and maybe we don't have to, to be that way, let's just say, Harold... If the end of the world isn't tomorrow, then go away. Go back in your hole, close up the center, be like a gopher or something. But stop telling people and exciting people uh, that at the end of the world and God is coming and judgment day uh, happens. Because according to the Bible... The sequence of events, and according to the feast days, the Holy Spirit came back during the time of the apostles. Remember Christ, when he was resurrected, he stayed with his apostles for 40 days. Then he told them, he said, I must go that the Holy Spirit can come. He said, you stay here for Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will come. Well, 10 days later, they stayed like they were supposed to, to be there for Pentecost. That's a required uh, feast day at the temple. Here comes the wind, and here comes the tongues of flame. 3,000 people were baptized that were visiting the temple for that feast day. I mean, that is a phenomenon. So the next feast day is when Christ comes. Well, and what happens is it's called the first resurrection. All of those who have died in Christ from the time of Adam will come forward with Christ, and they come to earth. 
people aren't beamed up. That rapture uh, business took place in the 1700s over in Scotland. A woman made this thing up. It was very, a very good tale to get money into the church coffers. People wanted to hear how they were going to go flying and that Christ was going to beam them up sometime before he actually came, like it says in the Bible. Anyway, the truth is that Christ will come, and with him will come all of the righteous dead, those who are his, all of the unrighteous dead, those who have died and have not received the salvation from Christ, will remain dead. And then for we on earth who remain, we're still here, we haven't died yet, we will be changed, it says, in the twinkling of an eye. We will lose our earthly bodies, which uh, decay, grow old, uh, they from uh, the dust to the dust, remember? But in our celestial body, we look the best we have ever looked. We don't have any problems with digestion or uh, with cancer or Alzheimer's. This is our celestial body good for eternity. And Christ will rule and reign the millennial empire for a thousand years. Then what happens is just before the end of the millennial reign, Satan is loosed to tempt those who he may. In other words, the last chance for evil to steal uh, the legacy of God's own. And then what happens on Judgment Day, like uh, Harold Camping is saying that Judgment Day is tomorrow, the rapture tomorrow, people are going to fly away, and the people left are going to be judged. And none of it's so. None of it is biblically sound. In the judgment, we have those, everybody who has lived, that is called the second resurrection. All those who weren't resurrected and came forward when Christ came to claim the earth, they will all, the sea will give up its dead. Everybody now is resurrected. The righteous will only be judged for their glory. Because, remember, I've given you five citations directly out of the Bible, that if you accept Christ, then God will not only forgive your sins, but they will be remembered no more. Quote, and so if God does not remember your sins, he would be a liar if you were judged for them at the last day. Uh, it was always been confusing to me why people uh, scream and holler and claw at themselves 
if they have accepted Christ, uh, your judgment's going to be a wonderful time. If you haven't, then uh, you, the sins of the world will be uh, brought before you, and you'll be punished. All right, let's uh, take a little break. We'll come right back. I got a ton of news for you, so we'll have to jump right into it. You listen to Freedom. It's over American Voice Radio. So stay right where you are, loving all. says about distilled water. If you decide on bottled water, make sure it's distilled. However, in the long run, you'll save money if you clean your water at home. It's more convenient than hauling gallon jugs from the store. The gold standard for purifying your water is a system that distills your water and filters it. You have the comfort of knowing there is no chlorine, fluoride, bacteria, viruses, pesticides, or lead, you get nothing but H2O, Maximum Health, Dr. Robert D. Willis Jr., M.D. Order your tabletop water distiller for $139.99 postpaid. It comes with everything you need to get pure distilled water. Go to superstore.theamericanvoice.com. That's superstore.theamericanvoice.com. Order now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one of four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. 
What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. before the break about uh, this preacher, Harold Camping, who has predicted the end of the world in 1994, and somehow or other it didn't turn out, and so now he predicts the end of the world is tomorrow, and uh, would you believe it, but the networks are uh, putting this out as prime news. So what I thought I would do is relieve you a little bit. If tomorrow... Because camping, there's a lot of things that happen when the Feast of Trumpet comes along and Christ comes to claim the earth. There's a thousand years where the lion lays down with the lamb, remember that? And the, the asp, the serpent, and the child. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an era, a thousand years of peace. And then Satan is loosed a little. Then there will be. Then the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled. And we do have the last great day, which is the judgment day. But we've gone through a thousand years of millennial age. Those of us who are of Christ will be with Christ on this earth, not hanging out somewhere uh, in space. And uh, I don't know because... In the first resurrection, uh, Christ comes with all of those who have died that are his uh, from the time of Adam. Uh, That means that, and see, when Christ died the first time, and uh, and he won't die again, he came back from the grave while he was three days and three nights. You know, people ask him, uh, you know, what have you, what did you do? Well, one of the things that he did was he went and preached uh, to those in Sheol. Now, when you look at a great hero like King David, I mean, wasn't he a hero? As a boy, he goes out and saves Israel. 
by nailing uh, the great giant of the Philistines. He's the great man. But he sees Bathsheba, who is the Hittite's uh, wife, and he sets it up. So this captain is killed, being in the forefront of an attack where you could count on in those days, sort of like Vietnam, hand to gland, and uh, you could figure you're on the point, you know, you're going you're gonna to die. And he did. And so David is able to take Bathsheba, but, of course, they realize and a lot of David's psalms are in his prayer for forgiveness. I believe that God, this is gospel portable, that God uh, forgave David, but David, he doesn't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Well, Enoch went to heaven. It is way back in Genesis where uh, God sees Enoch is pleasing to him, and so Enoch is seen no more, nor his people. So they all, God takes them. They don't go to Sheol. They go to heaven. And then Ezekiel, uh, here is uh, uh, a guy who uh, Isaiah was the protege. Isaiah uh, didn't go, but he comes, God comes and picks up this great prophet in a golden chariot, and off he goes. And Moses, you can read about it in Jude. God tells Michael, go get me the body of Moses. Well, this is when Moses dies, you know, when Joshua takes over and leads Israel into the promised land. Well, what happens to Moses? Uh, Satan is taking Moses to put him in Sheol because Moses has sinned and you cannot be in the company of God uh, and not and be soil with sin. It just doesn't doesn't go. It's like gasoline and fire. But God loves Moses and instructs uh, Michael go and get the body of Moses. So you read in Jude, A-U-D-E. It's such a short little book in the Bible. It doesn't even have chapters. So Michael challenges Satan, and Satan says, no, I'm not giving him up. Because that's Satan's job, is to carry these people uh, when they die and put them in Sheol, lock them up until Christ atones for their sins and they are freed. And that's where paradise comes into. Remember, Christ said to the uh, thief next to him on the cross, he said when the thief asked him, uh, to allow him in his kingdom. Uh, and when he came to, into his kingdom and Christ said, I say to you, before this day is over, you will be with me in paradise. Well, uh, before, you know, like with Constantine and the first uh, churches uh, where Constantine a pope, appointed a pope in Rome and Constantine appointed 
a uh, high priest, uh, Orthodox Christian in uh, Constantinople. Now, uh, what did they teach? They taught there was purgatory. That's where you have to wait until you your sins uh, can be atoned for. Well, right now, today, the church has changed that because they realize that Christ's sacrifice was the atonement. People were saved. So there isn't a reason because the old church charged a lot of money for you to get dispensations. That's why Luther started his Lutheran church because he said it was wrong that the uh, Pope and the cardinals, the archbishops and the bishops and the monsignors, they all got paid money uh, for people that would save and then try to buy their loved ones out of purgatory with uh, you know these high-up people in the church uh, praying. Well, uh, Luther knew that wasn't true. Christ freed. Christ has the keys to Sheol. And so when he was in the grave, his uh, spirit, he went to, and can you imagine the, the, the huzzah is what Israel used to scream as victory. When they see Christ coming and they are freed, all these great, wonderful heroes. Oh, wow. Samson. Now, Samson did a lot of things wrong, but do you suppose that he was one of those that was freed by Christ? I think so. And Gideon, and all those great, wonderful heroes. And so uh, now we have, we go to paradise, because we've accepted. Now, if we haven't accepted Christ, then uh, we don't go to paradise, but we wait, and that is what this whole Feast of Atonement is about, Ten days after Christ has come to claim this earth. And the reason we're talking about this is because this guy, Harold Camping, says the end of the world and the judgment is tomorrow. Now, please listen to me because this is, you know, so important to so many of you. I know it is. I watched my wife, a beautiful person. We were coming down. We have we come over the pass. Uh, to the east of Sandy Valley. And you can see the little valley below, but it's still like almost 10 miles. Now you can coast all the way. And as we were coming down this nice long straightaway where you can just uh, put her in neutral, uh, I noticed that uh, my bride was weeping. Tears were running out of her eyes. She wasn't saying anything. And I asked her, what's the matter? Uh, why are you so heartbroken? And she says, I can't imagine. I am so wounded when I think that I will be judged someday at the great white throne judgment. And all of the things that I have done in sinning on this earth will be made public for everybody to see. She said, it just breaks my heart. Now, to me, 
brought up with a grandma who did nothing but read me the Bible. It's the way I learned to read in Oklahoma. I knew I had read these. I was familiar with. Let me, if I can, so that uh, you can always say that you heard it. Jeremiah. I'm going to give you uh, some so you can run, tell people, uh, hey, you're not going to be tried for your sins if you accept Christ. And they're going to say, well, yes, you are, my preacher. See, that's the way that they make money from you. But Jeremiah, let's see, where am I at here? Chapter uh, 31, verse 34. Can I read that one verse to you? And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, and the Lord, uh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is great news, men. Now, let me read you one other verse. In Zechariah, which was, I was telling you, the next to the last book, last book of the Bible of Malachi, Zechariah is next to the last book, last page in Zechariah, last paragraph uh, is, uh, starts with verse 16. This is about 500 years before Christ. And listen to what this prophet Zechariah says. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. This is Christ during his millennial reign. And keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during the millennium reign, here we are still keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I mean, it's, do you see how important it is? And so I'm just trying to and listen to this. Here's uh, in the New Testament. Maybe you say, well, I don't believe the Old Testament, Paul. Well, always look for three or four references, and you'll find them in the Bible. In Hebrews, and this is uh, chapter 8. Can I just read you, please, uh, just one, maybe two verses. Uh, here's chapter 8, verse 12, Hebrews. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, this is Christ, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So under Christ, he will remember our sins no more. Wow. And so, and can, uh, one, just one more, just one more. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 17 says, quote, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Friends, hallelujah. That means you are judged if you have accepted Christ's atonement. Then you are judged 
only for your glory, the degrees of glory. That's a happy time. That's nothing to be weeping over other than the fact that God loves you so much and that his son loved his father so much that he gave his life. And he loves us so much that he would suffer so that we might be free of all our mistakes. I mean, that is something again. And so don't worry about this guy, Harold Camping. Worry about your salvation. And it's free. You can't pay for it. But look, see how easy it is. And all you do is ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. See, the remember, that's been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit arrived ten days after Christ left his apostles. And uh, this would have been... Uh, like in uh, 35 A.D. And so uh, the Holy Spirit has been here, the great comforter, the great truth detector. The Holy Spirit gives us the gifts, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of speaking in tongues, it's wonderful. So how do you know if you are saved? If your life has changed, if all of a sudden you can keep the Ten Commandments, if all of a sudden you want to keep the Ten Commandments, if all of a sudden you want to know what God has said that He that pleases Him, like uh, keeping the feast days, now you know that you have changed. All right, sorry uh, for preaching at you, but I don't want uh, Harold Camping to have much influence over you. Uh, it's not, it's not going to be good. All right. Now there is a lot of things that uh, are going on. Uh, we had the president make the statement that he thinks Netanyahu is with uh, Obama right now. And Obama uh, basically got the bird from Netanyahu. Obama says before the media that uh, Israel's borders should go back to the way they were in 1967. Well, in 1967, we had the Arab-Israeli War. And it was miraculous the way that Israel defeated nations that were far larger. When you look, look at Syria. Where is Syria? Syria is right up there surrounding Israel on the north. What surrounds Israel on the east? Jordan does. What surrounds Israel down south? Egypt does. Is Egypt bigger than uh, Israel? Is Jordan bigger than uh, Israel? Is Syria larger? Three at least, and more besides. Huge Arab militaries with tanks and aircraft and infantry attacked Israel in 1967. Now, Israel beat them so badly that... They held on to 
the areas that they advanced into, for example, uh, to the south of them came Egypt. They took the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is on the Mediterranean, goes around to uh, the canal. And so Israel kept that. Now, Jordan, the West Bank, uh, was across the Jordan River, and Israel pushed Jordan all the way back from Jerusalem, pushed them all the way back across the Jordan River. So they gained a great piece of ground there that is called the West Bank. Now, possibly the most strategic uh, piece of ground is the Golan Heights. When you look and see that they are surrounded by Syria over there by Lebanon. Well, they beat Syria so bad that they captured the entire Golan Heights which looks right down the throat at Damascus. And here is this huge water source where Christ is in a boat, comes across uh, this huge body of water, and that's where he met uh, the madman who was inhabited by a legion of demons, and that when he cast them out, they went into the body of swine who ran into the water and drowned themselves. Well, uh, Syria has begged Israel to give back the Golan Heights, but Israel never will, because strategically, this has got Syria tied down. Syria can't leave Damascus without Israel knowing it. And Jordan, and Egypt. And so uh, for uh, Obama, somebody that's never, I mean, as a socialist, uh, he lets other people fight his wars. Obama's never fought for anything. In Chicago, he may have uh, fought, you know, with the daily political machine and uh, how to uh, control neighborhoods. That's what Obama did. So, uh, it is, to me, it is wrong for Obama. It tells, it is the, it is the Muslim coming out of Obama. Because do you know something? I'm really not for Israel. I think, I agree with uh, the little Iranian president, Ahmadinejad. Ahmadinejad says if it was the Germans in Europe that caused the Holocaust and destroyed your families, why didn't you take part of Europe? Why didn't you take Poland? Why didn't you take Czechoslovakia? Why didn't you take Hungary? Why didn't you uh, take parts of Russia you know, that ran you out uh, when you had the Bolshevik Revolution? Back in World War One, and when Stalin finally, after Marx, uh, Trotsky, Lenin, all these people, after they die, then Stalin takes over and turns against the Jews, which it was the Jews who actually $25 million given by Goldman Sachs a Bank in New York to Trotsky and Lenin. 
it paid for uh, $25 million in gold. And uh, so you see, why didn't uh, the Jews take those countries and tell the U.N. we want a homeland? Instead, they went back where for thousands of years the Palestinians had occupied the areas where God had scattered Israel. There wasn't any. So who are the chosen people? By 70 A.D., the Romans had run all over the tribe of Judah. Before that, God had scattered and decimated the other ten tribes. So who are the chosen people? Well, you know, that, I mean, what we have are Khazaris, to tell you the truth. As a matter of fact, uh, when you look at modern Judaism, you see the Sephardic uh, Jews are the Spanish Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews are the German Jews. But what tribes are these? This, these come from Khazaria. The king of Khazaria decided that his whole kingdom was going to become Jewish so that they could stay away from the Crusades because the Muslims were beating them up on one side and the Teutonic Knights were beating them up on the other side. So up in the Caucasus Mountains, what was uh, Russia and the Soviet Union, the Khazaris all became Jews, not by birth, not by any tribe. And that's what you got. So the Bible, at the end, when you read the Christ's last commandment, go, says go into the world to all uh, nations, kindreds, tongues, preach the gospel to all creatures, it says, and they who accept will be saved. Uh, what a message. So don't worry about this dude. Uh, worry about you know being getting yourself uh, together. Anyway, I think that it is dumb. It is. It's amazing to me you know, how Obama can uh, so easily insert uh, his foot in his mouth. He has done something that I think uh, shows uh, that he is. Uh, it, it shows a lot of Islam in Obama. Boy, I got so much to tell you, and I am running so uh, much out of time. Anyway, uh, what are we going to do? I guess I'll just have to say goodbye. Uh, by the way, if you have a Harley, you might be on it. If you have something favorite, get on it. Maybe tomorrow, if this guy is right, we get beamed up. Maybe I can take my Harley Davidson with me. My German Shepherd's already at Rainbow Bridge waiting on me, so I don't have to worry about putting him on the back of the motorcycle. All right, guys. I love you, and uh, I just tell you the things I do because I know they're true, and I want to see you live a better life, happier. So stay with American Voice Radio, and I'll see you moon day. But take care of the Sabbath. Figure that out, will you? See you later. Train to live off nature's land. Most people.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
And welcome to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all-around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is Monday, May 23rd, 2016. It is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening to some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust accordingly. This is a live call-in show Calling in is not mandatory. Thinking, however, is, of course, we do give that exemption to members of Media Matters and the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as those government agents that are also paid to listen to this show. Because, after all, if we required them to think in their current occupations, that would create a hostile work environment. And we do not want to be responsible for that. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. Number is 1-800-932-1980. Or you may send an instant message directly to me. I try and read them all. I may not comment on them all on the air, but I try and read them all. And that would be Yahoo Messenger ID KC7AQK. As is our want, we like to open the show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy, quote, he who dares not offend cannot be honest, end quote. Well, that is true. And like Thomas Paine, who said that, I strive to be honest, even if I'm honestly mistaken, which has happened a few times in my life. Okay, stop laughing out there. I heard that. Uh, We have 21 pages in our show newsletter. Your calls, instant messages, and whatever else happens to come across the transom. And we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. Welcome back, my friends. Remember, my job is very simple. It is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And I do it the same way you can do it. By, well, there's an attitude that I have. I've actually had it for a good long time. It's only been recently that I've taken to expressing it more openly than I have in the past. And that is very simple. I am no longer interested in awakening the masses. Oh, there was a time in my life when I was interested in trying to awaken the masses. However, I finally learned, and it took me a little while, uh, uh, I learned about 
25 years ago, that the masses have made it clear that they are not interested. Instead, I'm here to connect with like minds and awaken those who want to learn. Now, how do I do this? Very simple. By asking questions, the same way you can do it, but only if you continue to support this show. You see, you have a choice. It's a very simple choice. You can take the blue pill. You can change the station. You can fail to support this show and this network, and the end result, well, we, you know what it is. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe, and this show and the network ceases to exist. And it's like, you know, tra-la-la, life is good, or, or you take the red pill. You support this show and this network, and I continue to show you how deep that rabbit hole goes. You see, I'm only offering you the truth, but the truth does not come free. You have to fight for it. Speaking of truth, the fake outrage has been exposed, my friends. Yes, a poll finds that 90% of so-called Native Americans are not offended by the Washington Redskins. Not surprising? Yeah. The Washington Post polled 504 Native American adults, finding that 90% said the Washington Redskins name did not bother, bother them. Only 9% said that they found the name of the NFL franchise offensive. Just 21% said they felt the term Redskins was offensive in general, with 17% saying they're offended if a non-Native American calls them a Redskin. A vast majority, that is 73%, said the use of the Native American imagery in sports didn't bother them. A majority of respondents said the issue of the Washington Redskins name isn't important to them at all, even though three-quarters had heard at least something about it. Well, the Washington Redskins have been called the Redskins longer than they've been in Washington. You see, if you didn't know it, They moved to the city from Boston in 1937, but changed their names from the Braves to the Redskins in 1933. The most recent wave of controversy over the Redskins' name started about half a decade ago. I will refresh your memory. In 2013, a report from the National Congress of American Indians explained the organization's opposition to the use of offensive Indian imagery, singling out the Washington Redskins. In 2014, the Redskins lost a series of trademarks related to their team name. I will remind you that they lost those trademarks because Congress went and bypassed the trademarks office. Yeah, that's lovely. But anyway, the Post poll this week appears to be the first one to actually survey Native Americans on their opinions since then. Well, cultural appropriation, as it's been called, has become a hot topic in the renewed political correctness or culture wars. Anything from chanting to dreadlocks to tequila to yoga can be identified as a cultural appropriation by the perpetually aggrieved. You see, it's a 21st century academic play on the white man's burden with American 
quote-unquote activists taking up the burden of fighting cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation critiques reaffirm, yes, they reaffirm the very thing they intended to oppose. Yeah. Well, Minha Fan wrote in The Atlantic, quote, the white Western domination over and exploitation of culture at the expense of everyone else. End quote. Wow, let that sink in for just a second. You know, while sports commentators who chimed in on the Washington Redskins naming issue before, like ESPN's Michael Wilburn on Pardon the Interruption, expressed shock at the results of the post-poll. Perhaps it shouldn't have been so surprising. After all, in 2013, ESPN.com's Rick Riley wrote about the attitudes of actual Native Americans he talked to and pointed to the numerous majority Native American high school teams that used the Redskin name and Indian mascots for their sports team. At the intersection of the issue of Native Americans, race in the U.S., and cultural appropriation, despite the lamestream left police reform movement largely organizing around the mantra, well, you've heard it, Black Lives Matter, well, Native Americans are the most likely racial group to be killed by police. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. No? Yeah. Now, here's something on a totally different track. In case you haven't heard about this, well, if you haven't heard about it, that really raises a question because where have you been? I'm serious. I'm not meaning to be demeaning here, but if you haven't heard about this, where have you been? Well, for those of you who haven't, here it is. And for those of you who have, here's more fodder for you to use to fight against this sort of thing. It seems that the DOJ has been caught, once again, diverting millions of dollars from housing funds to, say it isn't so, activist groups. Mm-hmm. The department, the, the so-called Department of Justice, has diverted tens of millions of dollars slated for victims of the 2008 housing meltdown to groups politically and ideologically allied with, say it isn't so, the Obama administration. Yes. According to Representative Sean Duffy, chairman of the House Financial Oversight Committee, the money comes from billions in penalties paid by big banks. DOJ diverts about 3% of the cash to registered counseling groups. Now, you may not sound like 3% is very much, but when you're talking billions and billions of dollars, all of a sudden, 3% becomes a pretty big daggum number all in itself. So about 3% of the cash has been diverted to registered counseling groups who are supposed to advise consumers. But most of the groups are connected to liberal activist organizations. The Daily Caller explained it this way. 
The first objective of a settlement is to make sure that we have victims who are made whole, Duffy said, referring to millions of Americans who lost their homes during the meltdown that led to the Great Recession of 2009. Continuing, if you're diverting money away from victims and sending it to a third-party activist group, you have victims who are being harmed not just once, but a second time, end quote. Justice officials were able to long able to, quote, skim 3% of any settlement money into their own account to, and for the most part, spend it the way they see fit, Duffy told participants in the media briefing hosted by the Cause of Action Institute, a nonprofit legal watchdog group. So, which groups are the beneficiary of this slush fund? Hmm, let's find out. Among the political activist groups favored by the settlements is La Raza. Oh, really? Who would have thought? La Raza, the nation's largest Hispanic organization, yes, that routinely supports Democrat candidates and causes. Cecilia Munza, Munoz, a La Raza senior vice president, was appointed by BO in 2012 to head the White House Domestic Policy Council. La Raza is flush with money, reporting in 2013 to the IRS assets of $55 million. Jen Margulia, the pre- group's president and CEO, was paid Four hundred seventeen grand that year, according to the group's IRS tax return. Even so, La Raza is slated to receive at least one million from the Bank of America settlement and five hundred grand from the Citigroup settlement. Lisa Navarrete, a spokesman for La Raza, told the Daily Caller News Foundation that the group is one of thirty-seven certified housing counseling agencies approved by HUD since 1998 during the Clinton administration. She said, La Raza would pocket about 10% of the funds and the balance will go to local groups affiliated with La Raza to providing counseling for distressed Hispanic homeowners. The Chicano student movement of Ozatlan is also slated to receive 50 grand from the Bank of America settlement according to Cause of Action. In an oversight committee hearing held Thursday, Duffy said justice officials in 2013 did not require mandatory donations to third-party groups when it announced a record $13 billion mortgage bank settlement with J.P. Morgan Chase. The rules apparently changed in July 2014 because, as part of the $7 billion settlement with Citigroup, Justice officials, quote, required a minimum of $10 million in donations to HUD-approved housing counseling agencies, end quote, Duffy reported. A February 2016 independent monitor report about a Bank of America settlement obtained showed that $125 million had been <clears throat> donated, quote-unquote, by the bank in 2014 to 147, quote, community groups and, quote, housing counseling agencies, end quote. Oh, wow. So, the DOJ incentivizes 
the donations by giving the banks a $2 tax credit for every dollar they give to the fund. What a nice, cozy little scheme. You see, I've reported to you about this in the past, my friends. I reported exactly how this works here, and that is that is how it works. They get fined a million dollars. Let's just pick a nice round number. They get fined a million dollars, but if they give that million-dollar fine as a donation to community groups and housing counseling agencies, they then get to take a $2 million refund on their taxes. Hmm. Is that now so much a fine, or is that a, uh, well, crony capitalist uh, socialist incentivizing. Hmm? Yeah, what a nice, cozy little scheme indeed. Hundreds of millions of dollars being funneled into political allies should be illegal and unconstitutional. It is certainly unethical. When executive departments can make up their own rules and use money received outside the appropriation process in any way they choose, we have a government that's out of control. In case you had any doubt about that, my friends. Okay, let's see. We got an instant message. What do we got here? Um, Yes, exactly. Graft. Yeah. Yeah. In a word, that's it. Graft right there. Yes. You got it. Okay. And speaking of graft, Chicago's pension fund woes just became $11.5 billion bigger. Yep. The folks in Washington are trying to bail out Puerto Rico with taxpayer money. Watch as Illinois and other states and cities with massive government sectors and high taxes continue to crumble, and they'll start agitating for their own bailouts. You know, maybe it's a good idea to start to consider the idea of carving out the big cities. After all, they seem to hold the rest of the country in contempt anyway, so let the big government islands bail themselves out, and if they fail to come to terms with fiscal reality, well, the rest of America has given them enough in many ways, after all. But let's look at what Bloomberg had to say, shall we? Chicago's pension fund shortfall just got $11.5 billion bigger thanks to the defeat of the city's retirement fund overhaul by the Illinois Supreme Court and new accounting rules. Chicago's so-called net pension liability to its municipal employees' annual benefit fund soared to $11.6 billion by the end of 2015 from 17 po- or $7.1 billion a year earlier, according to its annual report. The fund serves some 70,000 workers and retirees. The new figure, a result of actuaries' revised estimates for the value in today's dollars of benefits due as long as decades from now, doesn't change how much Chicago needs to contribute each year to make sure the promised checks arrive. But 
It highlights the long-term pressure on the city from shortchanging its retirement funds year after year. Decisions that are now adding hundreds of millions of dollars to its annual bills and have left it with a lower credit rating than any other big U.S. city but one. That's the bankrupt Detroit. Yep. Congratulations, Chicago. Home of B.O., Rahm Emanuel, and the $100,000 teacher pension, Bill Ayers, Jesse Jackson, Saul Alinsky, etc., etc., you in Detroit now have similar credit ratings. Way to go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> just thought you'd like to know, my friends. Okay. I don't have enough time to get into this, so I'll just let you know. When we come back from the upcoming break, I'm going to tell you about how the largest solar plant in the world burst in the flames, my friends. Yeah, you're really going to want to hear about this. And then when I'm done talking about that, I'm going to talk about, well, what Trump had to say about sanctuary cities. And he's spot on, my friends. Absolutely spot on. And then if we have time, we might get into Mark Zuckerberg and um, his little um, uh, fake book uh, meeting with uh, so-called conservatives. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ugly, but, you know, what can I say? Might as well tell you about it, okay? So, like I said, we got lots and lots and lots of material. I'm just, I'm not aching for material right now. Um, it's just all sorts of things have come across the transom, and I'm just having to turn stuff down because I'm like, I don't have room for it. It just isn't there. But I want to let you know, these are some of the things coming up. And, uh, well, let's see. What else? I got time to tell you about at least one more thing. Okay, I told you about that, Zuckerberg. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We cannot forget about another radical attack. Another, another racial attack, excuse me, not radical, another racial attack that has now been ruled a hoax in a college town. Say it isn't so. Though that can't be happening. There is no such thing as a hoax racial attack. Could there be? No. Yeah. It's shades of Tawana Brawley all over, my friends, all over. And, you know, they just, it just keeps coming. The hits just keep on coming, my friends. This is what we're living in these days. Hoax after hoax, fake outrage after fake outrage. You know, it's, it's like, what can I say? It's crazy. That's the world we're living in. So, uh, dang, I guess I should have got started on it. Now I've spent too much time telling you about other things to actually get started about it and and make some sense. But I'll I'll let you know, my friends. For those of you that have been keeping track really fast here, I've been doing well. Uh, I've been getting my arm working, and it's working a lot better. And I expect it to continue getting better. I got about... 45-50% 45-50% movement back, which is good. The pain level is going down. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, well, 
43, 45 weeks ago, excuse me, I shattered my left arm. And it's um, been a while, long time coming. And uh, I do appreciate the well wishes and, and best wishes that I've gotten from many of you. I really do. And I hope to continue to improve here. Anyway, you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, I'm Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs. This is a live call-in show. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. 1-800-932-1980 or send an instant message via Yahoo Instant Messenger ID KC7AQK. As promised, my friends, I told you I would tell you about the world's largest solar plant and how it had burst in the flames. Yes, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the Ivanapa Solar Electric Generating System, which I've told you about in the past, located near the California-Nevada border. Well, it burst in the flames when some of the thousands of mirrors that focus sunlight on water towers became misaligned and started an electrical cable fire. Mm-hmm. As a reminder, this plant was built with a $1.6 billion taxpayer guaranteed loan. Let me translate that into simple English. It means this place can go totally upside down and the taxpayers are 100% liable for the $1.6 billion flushed down the toilet. That's what that means, my friends. And it is run by a consortium of companies that include Bright Source Energy, NRG Energy, and Google. Yes, Google getting part of $1.6 billion guaranteed loan. What a sweet deal. Think about that. There you are, and you go like, how can we make more money for Google? Oh, look, we can help participate in this solar energy plant to feel good about reducing the world's carbon footprint because it will use clean solar energy. It's free. It comes out of the sky. Yes, it's free, and it'll be free. It'll be cheaper energy, too. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, oh, and look, we can get money from the government to, to back it up. Oh, this is wonderful. What a wonderful way. Yeah, they, they, they win all the way around. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> uh-huh. the Associated Press reported firefighters had to climb some 300 feet up a boiler tower at the Ivanapa Solar Electric Generating System in California after a fire was reported on an upper level around 9.30 in the morning, fire officials said. The plant workers, by using mirrors to focus or the plant works, I should say, by using mirrors to focus sunlight on boilers at the top of 
three 459-foot towers creating steam that drive turbines to produce electricity, but some misaligned mirrors instead focus the sunbeams on a different level of Unit 3, causing electrical cables to catch on fire, San Bernardino County, California, F- F- Captain Mike McClintock said. Um, Avid Knox, spokesman for the plant operator, NRG Energy, said it was too early to comment on the cause, which is under investigation. Gee, I thought that was pretty darn clear. They screwed up. That's the cause. Yeah. Well, the fire was located about two-thirds of the way up the tower, said Jeff Buchanan of Nevada's Clark County Fire Department, which also responded to the blaze. Plant personnel had the fire out by the time firefighters reached the spot, and it was officially declared out in about 20 minutes. Photos showed melted and scorched steam ducts and water pipes. Knox said the tower was offline while Cruz assessed the damage. He could not immediately say when it would restart the plant, when, that is, when all three towers are operating at peak efficiency, which is not very often and obviously not between the hours of, oh, say, 9 p.m. and 6 a.m., can produce power for about 140,000 California homes, but... A second tower is shut down for maintenance, leaving only one running. It was not immediately clear what impact that would have on California's electrical supply. Okay, well, that was a story from the AP. Ivanapah has been plagued with troubles since the beginning. It has failed to meet production targets, generating at best only about 75% of the power that was promised. It also regularly incinerates birds, and it blinds pilots as the mirrors reflect sunlight. I will remind you of a couple of things in case you didn't know about it. The the place they decided to put this is right at the confluence of about three or four migratory uh, patterns for birds and other uh, creatures that like to travel through the air, you know, like butterflies and, and other things that make migratory transitions. And right in these flyways uh, for these uh, various animals, as well as it's a marked FAA traffic conduit for traffic from the East Coast into LAX area. So that's why it says it blinds pilots, because they'll fly over and they'll go, hey, what's that down on the ground? They look out the window and boom, they're dazzled by the light as they fly right over it. Well, the energy it does produce, remember what I talked about earlier? Oh, wow, clean energy, and it'll be cheap because it's free out of the sky. Uh Uh-huh. It's incredibly expensive. How incredibly expensive? Try $200 per megawatt hour, which is nearly six times the cost of electricity from a natural gas-fired power plant. It's a boondoggle, to be sure. And there's also a question of whether such industrial-sized plants can operate safely and reliably. You see... Solar panels on your roof are 
fairly harmless, and they may cut your electric bill, but 30,000 mirrors focusing the awesome power of the sun on water tanks are expensive to build and operate and may end up costing electricity consumers more than fossil fuel plants. And as we now see, it doesn't take much to shut them down and drastically affect power generation. Also, let's not forget, my friends, that Ivanapa has been labeled as a uh, carbon polluter. Yes, it's been labeled a carbon polluter in that now, well, take now, for example, while two of the towers are shut down, one for maintenance and the other now for maintenance from the fire, that means the gas-powered uh, boiler turbines that they use to generate power, like during nighttime when they, they're not producing power, are now running overtime during the day even to continue to provide the guaranteed level of electricity that the uh, energy consortium said they will guarantee. They will put this much electricity into the grid well, how can they do that when it, the sun isn't shining or they have little problems like this? Well, they have gas-powered boilers, my friends. And yet, even with those gas-powered boilers, it's still running $200 per megawatt because that's how much more expensive it is than just plain gas-powered boilers. So... Ivanapov has been called a, quote, demonstration project. I will remind you, this is the world's largest solar array. It's a demonstration project, and about the only thing it has demonstrated so far is that its benefits have been overpromised and its perils underreported. One of the things that you can see, my friends... If you just go to YouTube or other places like that and look up, you will find multiple videos. Ivanapa and the people that are running Ivanapa, they hate these videos. They really do. But it will show birds flying into the area, and you can't see them until all of a sudden, the birds that is, you can't see them until all of a sudden they fly right into the concentrated beams of light, and then they show up bright white for a half second or so, and then a long trail of smoke as their burning carcass falls to the ground. Yep. Yep. Okay. Trump says sanctuary cities should lose funding. You're damn right. After all, if schools can lose funding for not following federal law and refusing to, say, let boys into the girls' showers, well, then a sanctuary city should lose all federal funding for not enforcing federal law. What do you think, my friends? Well, let's look into this a little bit. Donald Trump spoke with host John Carlson at Seattle's KVI. In an on-air interview with the, that AM morning host, John Carlson, in Seattle, presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump blasted the idea of so-called sanctuary cities and said that as president, 
he would withhold funding from those cities. He called such cities, quote, a haven for criminals, end quote, saying, quote, we have to have law and order in our country. We have no law and order. When you look at the people who are pouring in and the borders are so porous, I want people to come into the country 100%, but they have to come in legally. They have to come in through a process. And what's happening now is out of control. It's totally out of control, end quote. During the 20-minute-plus conversation, Trump and Carlson covered many subjects, including minimum wage, trade, and airport security. The interview came more than a week after Trump held two rallies in the Evergreen State, and on the morning after he was interviewed by Fox News' Megyn Kelly, with whom he has had a high-profile feud, which may have been put to rest during her special, and he promised Carlson that he would not surrender the state, but would fight for its votes in, as the election approaches. This might go against prevailing conventional wisdom, because Washington is considered a blue state, likely to be carried by whoever Democrat nominee is. Right now, it appears that to be Hillary KKK Clinton, who will be that person. Although Bernie Sanders trounced her in the March Democrat caucus and beat her here in the Oregon primary last week. Oh, but, oh, a little bit of news there. While Bernie trounced uh, Hillary here in Oregon, guess who got the majority of delegates? Can you say super? Delegate? Sure you can. I knew you could, because that's how Hillary ended up getting the majority of delegates, even though she lost handily to Socialist Sanders. So, withholding funds from Seattle and other sanctuary cities will not go over well with the liberal administration in those Democrat strongholds. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles are all sanctuary cities. There's a few others here in Oregon, like uh, uh, Eugene and uh, isn't um, no, I'll just leave it there. I, I think there's one other, but I can't remember its name. Anyway, but Portland, Eugene, the the first and second largest cities in Oregon. There we go, sanctuary cities, and they're all dominated by Democrats. And Seattle even has a socialist member of the city council. So, Trump observed, quote, we don't need sanctuary cities. We need strong borders. Yeah, well, at least he's right on that point. That's right. Okay, now on to news about the fake book controversy. Yeah, I know. There's other people out there calling it that, too. And it, but it's right, my friends. What can I say? That's what it's become. Fake book. Well, Reason Magazine posted something here, writing, Why Mark Zuckerberg Should Have Told Conservatives to Screw Off. The Facebook Summit got high marks from attendees, but is just one instance of today's childish outrage culture. Mm-hmm. Nick Gillespie writes for Reason Magazine saying, immediately upon publication, uh, 
of an anonymously sourced Gizmodo story that claimed that right-wing news sources were suppressed at Fakebook, conservatives went into full Mau Mau mode, attacking founder Mark Zuckerberg. And if you don't know what Mau Mau mode is, look it up, my friends. That's what Bing search is really good for. M-A-U, M-A-U, Mau Mau mode. Okay, so go look it up if you don't know what that means. Uh, attacking founder Mark Zuckerberg as a doctrinaire lefty whose social media platform was obviously guilty of censoring viewpoints with which he and his minions disagree. Well, far worse is conservative Republican Senator John Thune of South Dakota quickly issuing a letter calling Zuckerberg on the carpet pursuant to the authority of the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Facebook has until no later than May 26, 2016 to explain how it conducts its business. In addition, wrote Thune, widely admired in so-called conservative circles and constantly touted as presidential material, said, please arrange for your staff, including employees for the trending topics, to brief committee staff on this issue, end quote. Holy cow, a conservative, quote-unquote, conservative politician demanding that a private business schlep to D.C. to spill its standard operating procedures? It's the world turned upside down now, isn't it? You know, I thought only left-hard Sandinistas and Hillary bots acted in such ways. Seriously. Zuckerberg responded to the brouhaha by hosting a meeting with a dozen-plus so-called conservative pundits, activists, and movers and shakers. In a note on Facebook, Zuckerberg wrote, <clears throat> I hosted more than a dozen leading conservatives to talk about how we can make sure Facebook continues to be a platform for all ideas across the political spectrum. Silicon Valley has a reputation for being liberal, but the Facebook community includes more than 1.6 billion people of every background and ideology from liberal to conservative and everything in between. We've built Facebook to be a platform for all ideas. Our community's success depends on everyone feeling comfortable sharing anything they want. It doesn't make sense for our mission or our business to be suppressing political content or to prevent anyone from seeing what matters to them most, end quote. Oh, we got an instant message. Let's see what we got here. Uh, da, 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 click. Now, wait a minute. Private company? Really? I said, I, I say you take taxpayer-backed humongous loan. You ain't private anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there is that, too. There is that, too. There's, you know, this... That's why I call it crony capitalism, my friends. It's cronyism all over the place. And that's why this is so funny when these uh, so-called 
politicians back in D.C. and other places come out and say, oh, we demand this and we demand that. And then they can call themselves, well, we have conservative values here, right? Really? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the response, my friends, from the attendees who included Glenn Beck, pollster Kristen Soltis Anderson, Krista Soltis Anderson, former senator and head of Heritage Foundation, Jim DeMint, and more, was mostly positive. For instance, some of the comments. Very productive meeting at Facebook with Mark and team. Strong commitment to address issues as well as to work together on common goals. Cup writes, very productive meeting at Facebook with Mark and team. Strong commitment to address issues as well as to work together on common goals. Hmm. Did you notice something there? Yeah. It's practically repeating. It's that classic echo chamber I talk about all the time, my friends. And finally, Tea Party Patriots co-founder Jenny Beth Martin posted pics of herself smiling at the Facebook headquarters. But others are not assuaged. According to USA Today, American Conservative Union President Mark Schlapp, who refused to attend, vented, vented, excuse me, quote, they are not promising transparency. I want to see exactly how they treat conservatives and treat everyone, end quote. At the Federalist, Sean Davis preemptively dismissed the meetings as, quote, a textbook con job, end quote. Well, maybe. But conservatives aren't exactly wrapping themselves in glory on this score. That letter by Thune remains truly disturbing, especially given that the government has no more jurisdiction over Facebook than it does over, say, the Drudge Report, or for that matter, the content on faux news. But beyond that, the collective conservative reaction to the uncorroborated accounts about Facebook's curation of trending topics and its news tab is revealing. For example, from an article in the Daily Beast, quote, Facebook, which has created a compelling alternative to the dreary old meat space, has nothing to apologize for. Conservatives are Outraged that Facebook might not treat, say, the Daily Caller, which is not allowed to criticize Fox News because its head honcho draws a paycheck there, as being on the same level as the New York Times, and that Facebook might put more weight on material appearing in USA Today than at the openly bipartisan Breitbart.com whose latest big objectively pro-Trump bombshell, Bill Kristol, Republican spoiler, renegade Jew, has started an internecine war among GOP loyalists. That's the Twitter equivalent of the Castle War. Dismissing or downgrading these outlets isn't bias, it's good judgment. Well, that's what this one article at the Daily Beast had to say. Uh, okay, another instant message. What do we got here? Click. Um, 
if they start taking Fed money, they do. You work for who you pays you. You don't call it Fed book for nothing. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, again, crony capitalism. You're, you're, you're hitting it. You're, you're, you're thinking. That's good. Very good. It's, it's crony capitalism, and we need to get rid of that, especially, especially the crony capitalism. Conservatives, however, routinely castigate "quote unquote." Socialists, a, a term which is often indiscriminately applied to everyone to the left of John Bonehead. Well, actually, I'd put John Bonehead there in, in as socialist too, my friends. And it's not because I'm castigating them. See, I'm not a conservative. I'm a libertarian. And I consider most cons- today's conservatives socialists, my friends. Well, anyway, but back to... Nick Gillespie in his Reason magazine, he writes, Conservatives castigate socialists as whiners and crybabies when in fact they can barely make it through a news cycle without some sort of Naomi Campbell-level freakout. But persistent claims of pervasive media bias against conservative points of view always and everywhere masks the rise of power of conservatives in the post-broadcast media age. For example... The Drudge Report, which revolutionized media, is one example, as is Fox News, which routinely draws more than twice as many viewers as any other cable network. The Wall Street Journal editorial page has been conservative, with some libertarian seasoning for sure, for decades, and talk radio is still dominated by caricatures such as Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, and Michael Savage, none of whom has attempted to jump ship to the short-lived progressive network, Air America. Then there's Glenn Beck's Blaze and his larger company, Mercury Arts, which are full-fledged alternatives, not just to the old broadcast networks, but also to faux news, which he was left to strike out on his own. When Beck got tired of playing by some other people's rules, quote, he pulled a Zuckerberg and created his own damn sandbox. Good for him. And then... There's this. Joining Beck at Facebook was former White House spokesman Dana Perino, a friendly acquaintance who hasn't been cooling her jets since the end of the Bush years. She's a co-host of The Five on Fox News and a best-selling author. Brooks, uh, Arthur Brooks, president of the American Enterprise Institute, is a regular New York Times columnist, and poor old Jim DeMint is merely a former senator who is up the Heritage Foundation, a think tank and political action group that rakes in $112 bucks a year and rarely shows lower than a third in any ranking of influential nonprofits. Hmm... See, the fact that people who do good work generally prosper and those who are mediocre or half-assed don't, that's not to say that the only meaningful metric is the size of your audience or your budget, but every bit as much as lefties, conservatives, and Republicans are stuck in a culture of complaint and super quick to see vast and huge conspiracies arrayed to keep them from succeeding in their chosen fields, and yet somehow conservative Republicans run both houses in Congress and have a historically high level of representation at the state level, yet 
at Facebook, Zuckerberg notes that, quote, Donald Trump has more fans on Facebook than any other presidential candidate. And Fox News drives more interactions on its Facebook page than any other news outlet in the world, end quote. So, all of us, whether left, right, or libertarian, are better off focusing on creating more and better content as the first best way our audience of and influence. Good way of putting it. Okay, let's see what do we got here. Uh, oh, yeah, I can see what's going on here. Beck is not exactly neutral on the Fedbook issues. Broadcasting depends on Fedbook streaming platform. So Beck, yes, he has, and he's admitted it, yes. So, like I said, this is why it's, it's, a, faux, it's a faux controversy, my friends. What can I say? Well, here's something to think about. A top comment in response to all this was so good it caught my attention And I'll tell you what it was right after this upcoming break, because you're really going to want to pay attention to this, my friends, because it really lays out the groundwork. And in a way, it sticks a big knife in Nick Gillespie's side and kind of lets some of the air out of his sails in a rather nice way. I like Nick Gillespie, but sometimes, you know, we need to let the air out of his sails a little bit, okay? So... I will let you know about that on the other side of the break. In the meantime, you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. 
If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe that people in office actually care about your well-being, if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man, this show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, Faux News, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This... is the proper place where those police need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Today is still Monday, May 23rd, 2016. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. And if you're wondering why we're getting such a late start, it isn't because we've run more commercial breaks. It's because your host kind of screwed up a little bit there and got a little long-winded. And I was allowed to pontificate a little longer than I should have. So we got late started on the break, which meant that the break ended later. So we haven't cut out more time. It's just uh, I screwed up. What can I say? Anyway, this is a live call-in show. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. You dial 1-800-932-1980. Calling in is not mandatory. Thinking, however, is. And, of course, we still give that exemption to members of Media Matters, the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as those government agents that are all paid to listen to the show because, after all, considering the quality and level of their jobs, if we required them to think, that would create a hostile work environment. We don't want to be responsible for that. If you'd rather send an instant message, which comes directly to me, your host, you can through Yahoo Instant Messenger ID KC7AQK. For those of you who were with us at the end of the last half hour, I reported uh, from Reason Magazine, Nick Gillespie's article on the fake book uh, meeting summit, if you will. And as I promised, I said I would tell you the top comment 
that caught my attention. It caught my attention so much that I clipped and pasted it. I want to make sure I included it. So this is the top comment in response to the article, which I will remind you was entitled, scrolling back up to the top here, was entitled, Why Mark Zuckerberg Should Have Told Conservatives to Screw Off. Okay, so with that in mind, here was the top comment. He has a product that he needs to sell to the most people as possible. The customer is always right. A good businessman understands this, and Mark Zuckerberg is a good businessman. And when you tell conservatives to screw off, that's bad for business. It's a lot harder to run a billion-dollar business than, say, writing snarky articles for reason. End quote. Yeah, pretty good point, my friends. Pretty good point. In other words, there's a lot of blame to go all the way around, and your host is right here ready to start shoveling out servings of it to the appropriate people, which is why I'm, I'm not afraid to talk about uh, fake book and, and its millions of dollars that it received from the government. Now, unlike other companies, while they got millions of dollars uh, and they actually uh, paid at least most of it, if not all of it back. I haven't really looked at the books all that terribly hardly, uh, hard lately, but uh, as opposed to that uh, Ivanapa power-generating plant, uh, how much do you think they've paid back? Well, I did a little research into that, and the number is uh, it's kind of a number between negative one and positive one, if you get my drift here, you know. Um, but anyway, as I promised earlier, I told you I would tell you about another quote-unquote racial attack, my friends, in a college town. And like Tawana Brawley, it's been ruled a hoax. Here we go. The laid-back and trendy college town of Iowa City was plunged into turmoil a little over two weeks ago. Now actually approaching three weeks ago, my friends. A little over three weeks ago by, um, I lost my place, after a black University of Iowa freshman claimed that three white white men had viciously attacked him in the downtown and called him a racial slur. Well, a media firestorm ensued, with the first report airing on a Chicago news station. Iowa City Police quickly declared that they were investigating a possible hate crime, mm-hmm. and eventually consulted with the FBI. City and university officials were on the defensive. Social justice warriors held protests. They crime, however, turned out to be just a hoax. Just as more than a few observers had suspected all along. Marcus Owens, age 19, nevertheless found willing ears from media outlets and among university officials when claiming that racist college-age white men had attacked him in the mostly white college town. Yep. 
mostly white college town, a city that social justice warriors have long claimed is pervaded with an undercurrent of racism as reflected in all the microaggressions and standoffishness supposedly suffered by black newcomers. Many blacks from Chicago's inner city have migrated to Iowa City in recent years, thereby ending its status to the delight of liberals as an orderly white-topia. Owens, a business major, adroitly courted the news media with his harrowing story, and so did his supportive and media-savvy family who live in the affluent and mostly white Chicago suburb of Naperville. The hate crime story was picked up by outlets as far away as New York. Some published photos of Owen's bruised face and chipped front teeth, photos provided by his family. Demanding justice, Owen's father insisted during a television interview that his son didn't embrace the thug life, but was just trying to get an education. Owens and family members met with the University of Iowa's President J. Bruce Harold, who, together with city officials, expressed concern that a racially motivated hate crime had occurred. Speaking at a news conference, a university spokesman stated that the university was ready to help Owens in whatever way it could. Three headlines. In the Prez Citizen reflected the media hoopla, quote, police investigate reported hate crime against UI student, announced a banner headline after the alleged attack on April 30th. Another subsequently declared, assaulted UI student family looking for justice. And as public outrage grew, a headline reported, Iowa student protests rally and issue statements against hate crime. Hmm. The hate crime narrative unraveled on Monday night when Owen's family issued an abject apology and admitted that Owens was telling tall tales. <clears throat> the denouncement occurred after Owens and his family were presented with surveillance video and witness accounts gathered during an exhaustive police investigation. In their statement, the family nevertheless stopped short of blaming Owens entirely for the attack, explaining, quote, upon learning more details of the case, and while racial slurs served to fuel the violence, Marcus now knows that his account of events was inconsistent with police findings, in part due to alcohol being involved, embarrassment at his behavior, as well as injuries he sustained, end quote. Hmm. Speaking during a Tuesday morning news conference, Iowa City Police Captain Troy Kelsey said, quote, Marcus was not the victim of an assault. Marcus was an active participant and even an instigator in three separate physical confrontations or assaults that occurred at bar close. During at least one of those, he suffered injuries. That is unfortunate. But when you go looking for multiple fights, that is going to happen, end quote. Police said the incident involved an ongoing disagreement. 
Police acknowledged that somebody had called Owens a racial slur, but whether that person was black or white was not revealed. Whatever the cause, the use of the <clears throat> N-word did not amount to a hate crime, they said. The fighting involved Owens and members of local fraternities. So, why did Owens make up the hate crime story? According to one account, he was afraid to tell his parents that he was injured during multiple drunken fights he had provoked. A race hoax story he figured would be easier for them to swallow. Kelsey, the police captain, made an interesting observation about the police investigation, pointing out that outrage over the alleged hate crime could have made some people afraid to come forward with a different story. Quote, the first liar is the one that's believed, and that's what Marcus was in this case, he said, according to the press citizen. Incredibly, officials do not plan to charge Owens with filing a false police report or demand that he compensate the city for the drain his hate crime claim put on police and university resources, according to remarks made during Tuesday's news conference saying, quote, if we're going to charge him, we could charge a variety of other people with disorderly conduct or different things, said Johnson County Attorney Janet Linus. And it seemed more important to the community to get the information out on what had happened, end quote. Hmm. The Johnson County attorney, Janet Lanus, explained that, quote, it seemed much more important to be able to get to the information out so that people aren't afraid of being downtown or afraid that there were three white men who were going to attack people randomly because of racial things, end quote. That certainly is a strange bit of logic. Perhaps Linus and city officials felt it better not to antagonize a member of a protected minority. Put another way, failing to charge Marcus Owens was perhaps really all about political correctness. A powerful force in a college town like Iowa City where guilt-ridden white liberals control the levers of power. It will be interesting to see if the University of Iowa does the right thing and expels Marcus Owens. That Owens grew up during the Obama years cannot be ignored. It is an era when playing the victim card has become increasingly popular and profitable and has even gotten a smile and a wink from President B.O. So Owen's readiness to embrace a hate crime hoax was perhaps understandable, a product of our times. Whether he learns his lesson remains to be seen, but given the media savvy Owens demonstrated, perhaps he should consider a second major in journalism or public relations. And yes... That was a snarky, sarcastic tone on my part. I fully admit it. Okay. I have been waiting, my friends, to tell you this news for a very, very long time. I knew it would come out eventually. I knew it would. And I've been waiting, oh, about 15 years to tell you this news. It just so happens that it's finally coming to fruition now. And now we are reading a headline from uh, 
again, Nick Gillespie, again, I told you, I like him a lot, but there's some things he says that are just totally off the wall. But this time, he has nailed it on the head. 58% of voters, actual voters, my friends, not people who said they might vote or, or they're thinking about voting, but people who actually vote. Did you vote in the last three presidential elections? Yes. Okay, great. Next question. Do you plan on voting in the next one? Yes. Okay, great. Now we'll poll you. That's what you have to do to be a real voter, you see. They have 58% of voters are willing to go with someone other than Trump or Clinton. Can the Libertarian and other third parties rise to this opportunity? Hmm. Pollster and political consultant Douglas Schoen has released a new poll, um, or the gravestone owners, the gravestone owners. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to wait for more in, uh, information there. I'm not quite sure. Voters. Oh, gravestone voters. Oh, okay, I'm getting it. Okay, Miss B is... Um, making a comment here about gravestone voters. Yes, <laughs> I don't think they're including that 58%, but uh, because they can't uh, voice an opinion on voting in the next presidential election. But anyway, pollster and political consultant David Schoen has released a new poll showing that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are effectively tied among likely voters with each polling in the low 40s. This finding is replicated in other polls, some of which show Trump slightly ahead of Clinton, but most within the margin of error. The most interesting findings in the shown results involves responses to questions about independent or alternative candidates. The short version tells us what we've known for a long time, that is, Increasing numbers of people are effectively done with the two major parties, at least when it comes to their presumptive nominees for president. As Mott Welch wrote in the Declaration of Independence, in Independence, not Declaration of Independence, okay, uh, in uh, late 2011, early 2012, Politics is a lagging indicator of where America is already headed, and the same forces that have remade our cultural, commercial, and personal lives are coming to politics. Every aspect of our lives, besides politics, is shot through with increasing choices and proliferating personalized opinions. Due to our electoral system, the United States will always have two dominant parties, but what they stand and how broadly they appeal to people can vary widely. But until the Dems and reps figure out that, if ever, they will appeal to fewer and fewer voters who are desperate to see a 21st century politics that reduces the size scope, and spending of government while giving more options and freedom to people to live the lives they imagine for themselves. On top of that, 58% of respondents said they're open to voting for a non-Republican, non-Democrat candidate. 
Trump and Clinton are both north of 50% in terms of disapproval, and it seems unlikely that will change all that much. Election 2016 may well be a battle of attrition, where the ultimate victor squeaks in with considerably less than 50%. Recall that in 1992, 1996, and 2000, the winner pulled less than a majority of the popular vote. And since then, voters have become even less enamored of the major parties. All of which is to say, this election is already providing the most fertile ground for a powerful third party or independent run. Is the Libertarian Party the only other party that will be on the ballot in all 50 states ready for that challenge? The LP picks its next nominee next weekend. And whether it turns out to be the 2012 nominee, former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, or someone else, the candidate will need to be serious in a way that he didn't need to be in past elections. What is the grand theme of the Libertarian Party candidacy? What are broad brush points on war, spending, taxes, and the like? It's worth pointing out that Johnson is already getting 10% in a Fox News poll and got 11% in a Monmouth University survey a month or so ago. That almost certainly reflects the interest in anybody other than Clinton or Trump rather than anything specific to Johnson or the Libertarian Party. As Matthew Dowd states on ABC's This Week with George Stepp on All of Us, this, the role of a third party or independent candidate isn't necessarily to win, but to represent large numbers of people who feel left out by the visions of America sketched out by the Republican or Democratic parties, particularly when it comes to the Libertarian Party. That means having specifics to show you're competent and serious you know, like, what parts of government are you going to cut out, Mr. Libertarian Candidate? But also a large vision of what sort of America the Libertarian Party envisions. One of the LP candidates, Austin Peterson, has already trotted out a version of a Canadian politician by the name of Tim Mohn. And his 2014 vision, when he said, quote, I want gay married couples to be able to protect their marijuana plants with guns, end quote. Well, for what it's worth, Moan's electoral results haven't been great so far, but then that is Canada, which is highly anti-gun, but I digress. So what about his slogan, you know? Is it a starting point, my friends, for suggesting what a libertarian presidential candidate should be saying? Or what should they be saying? I have my thoughts and views, and I've given them often, my friends. I'd be curious what some of yours are. And you can instant message me or send me an email or, heck, if you even really feel up to it, Give me a call. As I've said often, my, my phone line is open, and I'll, I haven't given it out in a while, so I'll give it out right now. So grab your pencil, because here it is. If you'd like to call me, obviously not when the show is on, because, well, I can't take your call, except if you call the station, um, but during the show. 
But if you'd like to make, give me a call, generally I'm available, generally between 10-ish or so a.m. to about 4-ish in the afternoon, Pacific time, Tuesdays through Fridays, or about 10-ish to 2 on Saturdays and Sundays, Pacific time. And the number is 971-270-2033. And you can call me then and talk about it if you'd like to, because I'm interested. Okay, only three links of interest for you, my friends. I've winnowed out a lot of garbage. Um, I'm unfortunate to say I got a lot of garbage, and I had to, uh, upon review, go, hmm, nope, 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 and cut it out. So here we go, three links of interest. Uh, We'll probably only get through one before the break here. Number three, because of the nature of this program, This program, the Constitutional Crusaders Show, dealing in conspiracy facts, even though this article deals with the Saudi press, which is probably only 5% more reliable than the U.S. press, and that is not saying very much, there's some interesting tidbits here and there. One that I want to magnify is the difference between Muslim groups of people and Islamists. The article brings up how the U.S. government, when it suited their purposes, used Muslim groups in the past, but fails to point out that Muslim groups does not equal Islamists. And it's from Breitbart.com on Saudi press blows up, or saying that the U.S. blew up the World Trade Center to create the war on terror. Okay? I'll get to the other two. On the other side of the break, I don't want to run late again because that's not good form and does not endear your host to the network. So you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Messiah's Branch at the Mission Church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, Constitutional Counselor, and we have only two links of interest to get through here, so we'll get through them really fast. Number two, in some ways, this can be viewed as a he said, she said type drama. However, with all the exposés into the practices at Fake Book, there is a lot of merit to what's going on, which adds to the proverbial fuel to the fire where we read Facebook bans Canadian commentator for saying it targets conservatives. And number one, reading this story and then doing some background, it seems there is possibly more to this story than meets the eye. However, because of the huge backlash over idiotic things going on at Target these days, well, you read, you know, you read this, and you'll understand where I'm going. The headline is, Target Suing Shopper Who Saved Fellow Shopper From Stabbing Attack. Okay, like I said, I did a little research, and uh, there's probably more to this story than meets the eye, but like I said, it was still interesting. Okay, critical thinking segment. <clears throat> especially in light of the very last story in the last half hour, about 58% of people saying that they're ready to vote against 
either Republican or Democrat. doesn't matter. They're just going to vote against them or willing to vote against them. We have a picture here of, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore. And you know the four faces on Mount Rushmore. And the meme reads, both Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt, the two faces to the right on Mount Rushmore, that is, when you're looking at it to the right, that both Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt ran as third-party candidates. It is possible for a third party to become a major party. Let's make the Libertarian Party the next major party by getting out to vote. And that's very important to think about. Like I said, especially in view of that last poll, you know, 58% wanting to vote against both Trump and Hillary. Hmm. Just something to think about. Okay. Now it's time. For the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare, that's L-A-W, for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. And this is the time when I try to get the phones and the instant messages turned off. So I'm really going to try, you know, I'm going to not respond if I can to calls and instant messages. So here we go. Um, To get started, though, first... Let's examine. A good, this is a good expose that I'm going to get to on how asset forfeiture cases are constructive crimes committed by the state. But before I get into that expose, let's look at 21 U.S. Code Section 848, which is Continuing Criminal Enterprise. Listen carefully to the wording of this federal statute. The Continuing Criminal Enterprise Statute, commonly referred to as CCE Statute or the Kingpin Statute, is a United States federal law that targets large-scale drug traffickers who are responsible for long-term and elaborate drug conspiracies, unlike the RICO Act, which covers a wide range of organized crime enterprises. The CCE statute covers only major narcotics organizations. Take notice how this carefully crafted to the only apply to drug offenses. But if one removes all the references to drugs, all of a sudden the CCE statute applies perfectly to the state and their minions, i.e. the police, when they engage in asset forfeiture. I will remind you, you listening out there right now, that in the Disney movies of or about minions, said minions always serve the most evil in society. Let that sink in for a moment. Okay, good. Now let's move on to this. Arkansas Trooper steals 20 grand because... Nobody innocent carries that much cash. Prosecutors tried to drop the forfeiture case, but the judge would not let them. Nope. 
This is the story, my friends, of how cops stole 20 grand from Guillermo Espinoza, a construction worker with no criminal record. It's sadly familiar in most respects. In July of 2013, while driving through Arkansas on his way to Texas, Espinoza was pulled over by a state trooper who discovered a large amount of cash in the car, which he viewed as inherently suspicious. The money was seized and eventually forfeited based on vague allegations of drug-related activity. But there's a twist. There was so little evidence of such activity that local prosecutors decided to drop the forfeiture case. The judge would not let them. And last week, a state appeals court declined to review that astounding decision because Espinoza had missed the filing deadline. Mm -hmm. It's not clear why Arkansas State Police Sergeant Dennis Overton decided to stop Espinoza, who was traveling with his girlfriend, Priscilla Hernandez. The legal justification for pulling Espinoza over was missing from the state's September 2013 forfeiture complaint, which referred without explanation to, quote, the traffic stop, end quote, and from Circuit Court Judge Chris Williams' September 2014 order authorizing permanent confiscation of the money, which said only that the stop was proper, quote-unquote. In his response to the forfeiture complaint, Espinoza argued that the stop was illegal. So it would be nice to know what the rationale for it was. While police have no shortage of excuses for pulling motorists over, they are supposed to settle on at least one. After the stop, Judge Williams said, quote, a state of Arkansas drug dog was transported to the site in order to conduct a search of the vehicle, end quote. That's a revealing way of putting it, since according to the Supreme Court, walking a drug-sniffing dog around a car does not qualify as a search. But if the dog alerts, quote unquote, to the car, the court says, that alone supplies probable cause for a search. So what Williams evidently meant was that Sergeant Overton requested a drug dog on the presumption that it would give him the permission he needed to search the car. But, according to Judge Williams, quote, it is obvious from the tape of the traffic stop that the dog did not alert on the vehicle at the scene of the stop, end quote. Undeterred, however, Overton asked for permission to search the car, which Espinoza supposedly granted. A pretty suspicious sequence of events. Why bother bringing in a drug dog to justify searching a car if the driver is willing to give his consent? Hmm... Well, in any case, Judge Williams said, quote, the dog alerted on a computer bag, end quote. 
inside, which Overton found $19,894 in cash, mostly wrapped in $1,000 bundles. Overton found no contraband, no drug paraphernalia, or any other sign of illegal activity. But as far as he was concerned, the cash itself was conclusive evidence that Espinoza was involved in drug trafficking. Quote, I've worked this interstate for the last eight years, Overton told Espinoza, according to the transcript of the dash cam video, which Judge Williams appended to his order, quote, Half my career I've spent out here, okay? Nobody, nobody carries their money like that but one person, okay? People that deal with drugs and deliver drugs. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody, end quote. In other words, Overton always treats people who carry large amounts of cash as criminals, which proves that only criminals carry large amounts of cash. Yes, that is called circular logic, my friends. Espinoza, who has no criminal record and was never charged in this case, said the money came from years of construction work, and he later presented checks, receipts, and tax forms to substantiate that income. He said he took the money with him to Memphis because he was planning to buy a 4x4 truck there, but he was not happy with the advertised vehicle, so he did not complete the purchase. He offered to show Overton text messages he had exchanged with the truck seller and said his boss, whom he offered to call, would vouch for him. Overton, already convinced of Espinoza's guilt, was not interested. After all, Officer Overton only sees drug pushers carrying money like that. Aside from the existence of the cash and the police dog's purported alert to the computer bag, the forfeiture complaint offered no evidence that Espinoza was dealing or delivering drugs. It simply asserted that, quote, the currency was being used for drug trafficking to further the manufacture of a controlled substance or to facilitate the violation of Arkansas Code Annotated Section 5-64-536, end quote, which criminalizes possessing with intent to deliver marijuana or any other Schedule 6 controlled substance. In other words, Prosecutors not only had no real evidence that Espinoza had committed a crime or was planning to do so, they could not even be bothered to specify the crime. Yeah. Although vague charges supported by meager evidence are par for the course in civil forfeiture cases, something, someone, at the Hot Springs County Prosecuting's Office, had second thoughts about this case. Quote, The plaintiff has decided 
not to pursue the forfeiture of the currency, end quote. Deputy Prosecuting Attorney Teresa Howell said in a May 2014 motion, quote, and the interim complaint should be dismissed without prejudice, end quote. Amazingly, Judge Williams went ahead with the forfeiture anyway, making the case state's case for it by citing snatches of Spanish conversations between Espinoza and Hernandez that can be heard on the dash cam video. The transcript of that conversation shows Espinoza was anxious that Overton would find the cash, which is either evidence of his criminal culpability or perfectly understandable in light of what ultimately happened to his money. It also shows Espinoza talking to his girlfriend about their trip to Graceland and his plan to buy a truck in Memphis, which Williams read as rehearsal of a cover story, but which could also be taken at face value. Williams also made much of, quote, inconsistent statements, end quote, by Espinoza and Hernandez, which could be explained by their limited English skills and nervousness. I'm being reminded, my friends, and this is a very important point, so this is why I'm going to take a little aside right now and remind you that according to even the Federal Reserve themselves, the people that issue these bogus Federal Reserve notes, which I call frauds, F-R-A-U-D, Federal Reserve Accounting Unit Device, according to them, all money, once it's been in circulation more than two weeks, has enough traces of drug material on it to make any decent drug-sniffing dog alert to it. So, you know, the, the very fact you have 19000 dollars of it in your possession it, and all bundled up, that's going to make one big hell of a sniff for a drug dog. So, yeah. Anyway, but back to the story, my friends. Williams counted, uh, or countered, excuse me, there we go. Williams counted that nervousness in addition, as an additional evidence of Espinosa's involvement in drug trafficking, after all, why would an innocent person be nervous when confronted by an armed agent of the state intent on searching his vehicle, implicating him in drug crimes and seizing anything of value he might find. At the same time, Judge Williams suggested that Espinosa was not nervous enough. Quote, it is very obvious that Mr. Espinosa, during the whole stop, which was filmed, was very stoic, end quote. Judge Williams concluded that the state, which was no longer trying to prove its case, nevertheless had succeeded by meeting the, quote, preponderance of the evidence, end quote, which is the standard for civil forfeiture in Arkansas, meaning it was more likely than not that the money had something to do with illegal drugs. Williams rejected Espinosa's argument that stopped detention, and search leading to the seizure was unconstitutional. On appeal, 
Espinosa argued that Williams abused his discretion by refusing to let prosecutors drop the case and the state had not met its burden of proof and that the traffic stop was illegally extended to facilitate the canine inspection and search. The state appeals court declined to consider any of these issues because Espinosa missed the 30-day deadline for challenging Williams' decision and the 10-day deadline for extending the 30-day deadline. While concurring in that result, Judge Wayman Brown wrote separate to highlight the injustice that Espinosa suffered. This is what the dissenting judge had to say. After exhaustive research and effort, I cannot see why the trial judge would decide to follow through with the forfeiture of Mr. Espinoza's $19,894 when the charging agency moved to dismiss without prejudice, believing it lacked the evidence to confiscate the money. In his order, the judge noted statements such as, what are we going to do? They just found the money and please don't find it. Please don't find it in determining that both Mr. Espinoza and his companion, quote, knew that this illicit money was hauled down the road, end quote, absent from the same order was the obvious language barrier that existed between Mr. Espinoza and the arresting officer, the officer's insistent that he had been a state trooper for 16 years, and there was only one reason someone would carry that much cash in his vehicle, the officer's apparent refusal to be shown text messages between Mr. Espinoza and the person from whom he said he wished to buy a truck, or even Mr. Espinoza's companion statement of, you didn't tell me you had that, that money, you just told me we, we were coming to buy a truck, end quote. Meanwhile, Mr. Espinoza presented the trial court with numerous paychecks from various construction jobs, as well as tax documents evidencing his argument that the money was lawfully earned. Nevertheless, the trial judge ordered the forfeiture of the nearly 20 grand in response to Mr. Espinoza's motion for reconsideration. The judge simply stated, quote, the defendant's motion to reconsider is denied and without merit, end quote. He gave no further explanation. I am of the belief that an unsubstantiated suspicions are not just cause for circumventing established judicial practices, end quote. Well, nor should unsubstantiated suspicions be cause for taking someone's property even when prosecutors decide to give it a try. As state legislators around the country are beginning to recognize laws that allow forfeiture without a criminal conviction or even criminal charges, well, they are an invitation to highway robbery. Exactly right, my friends. And that is one of the reasons why I continue to, shall we say, harp on the issue of asset forfeiture, because that's all it turns out to be, is highway robbery. As I pointed out to you multiple times, my friends, there are some police departments that are getting 60 to 70% of their annual operating revenue from asset forfeitures. That is sick and ugly, my friends. Here in Oregon, 
They vote, the state legislature, pressured by so many citizens, outlawed the practice of using asset forfeitures to fund police departments, but they failed to prevent police departments from receiving asset forfeitures from third parties, i.e. the federal government. So the feds stepped in in Oregon and in other places where the police are similarly constrained from engaging and funding their departments from asset forfeitures and offered to do a third party system that I've told you about on several occasions where the feds come in and create a case out of thin air on the thinnest of circumstances and then take the money and then kick back to the referring agency 60 to 80 percent of it when they did like one percent of the work in getting the funds and and such and there's even one local jurisdiction not too far south of where your host lives that extended its operating uh, maneuvers to include the like three or five miles of I-5 that ran uh, next to the town, extending their jurisdiction to the other side of I-5 so that they could patrol I-5 for that three to five miles for safety violations. And their speeding tickets and asset forfeitures ended up for a short time funding 80% of the entire city's operating budget. Yeah. It was incidents like that and others that caused the state legislature several years ago to make it so that they couldn't do things like that. But like I said, they found a way around it with the uh, the feds, which is why when uh, New Mexico passed their little law, which I told you about a while ago, and now similarly, several other states have adopted the New Mexico model, not only outlawing asset forfeiture, but making it so that it has to be tied to a criminal uh, conviction, not just a criminal complaint, but a criminal conviction, and Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.